1: Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. A quarterback is in the house. Doug Maurice, with two other guys in the house today, Stephen Means and Tim Bielek. We are doing our giant recruiting Buckeye Talk podcast that we have been promising for weeks. And here we are on Tuesday, on the day we are recording, just hours beforehand. Kyle, is it Kyle? Yep. Yeah. Kyle McCord. See, that's my recruiting. That's my recruiting knowledge coming through there. What's the kid's name again? Kyle McCord from Philly. Not really from Philly. He's from New Jersey. He plays in Philly. But I bet she's got that Philly tude. Kyle McCord, the number 113 overall recruit in the class of 2021, has committed to Ohio State. As their 2021 quarterback, we know that Jack Miller is the 2020 quarterback for Ohio State. So we have a whole list of recruiting things that we're going to recover, uh, not recover, cover with the Buckeyes. But we're going to start with this breaking news, Stephen, as we just think about the context of this. And I like to go back to my days covering the recruitment of Terrell Pryor and remembering the quarterback recru- uh, recruiting commitments Low these many years at Ohio State. How big of a deal is Kyle McCord for Ryan Day and Ohio State football?
2: Major, because right now they're in a bit of a hiccup. You've lost two quarterbacks in the last six months. One you recruited and another guy that Urban Meyer recruited, but still on your roster. And you've repeatedly said that you want four scholarship guys on the roster. Well, at one point in the last two weeks, you had two. You're back up to three. And you've got two on the way, one for 2020 and one for 2021, as we're talking about right now. It's huge because it kind of gets them back on track. It will be interesting to see when you're going to go back-to-back quarterbacks like this, though. Justin Fields is going to be a starter for the next two years, but then after that, it looks like we're going to have a QB competition between Jack Miller and Kyle McCord. And the way things have been looking across the college football landscape, one of those two guys won't be here in three years. Are we, on the day of a commitment, already (laughs) predicting a transfer? Is that the world we're in right now? Listen, yeah. You can only have one quarterback (laughs) on the field at one time. And when you commit, and you already know there's a guy in the class right before you that's committed as well, you're committing with all good, well-intentions of, I'm going to compete for a job. And one of us is going to be starting and throwing balls in Scarlet and Gray, and the other one will be looking elsewhere. I would like to note that we got...
1: Fewer than two minutes into this podcast <laughs> before we started talking about the transfer, <laughs> the future transfer of the quarterback who just committed. Listen, Tim,
2: I'm not going to lie to the
1: people. I mean, it, it's the world. We were just sitting here talking before we started recording. There's like two quarterbacks at Washington who just got in the transfer portal because Jacob Eason, who is the other transfer from Georgia who left because of Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm scared off two quarterbacks at Georgia, Jacob Eason and Justin Fields. Justin Fields then scared off two quarterbacks at Ohio State. Actually, Justin Fields scared off three quarterbacks at Ohio State. Matthew Baldwin, Tate Martell, and Duan Mathis. Now, Jacob Fromm, who went from Georgia to Washington, has scared off two quarterbacks at Washington. So the word scared off I don't really mean, but all these transfers affect the next guys who then transfer. It is the world we're in. It's a good point that Stephen makes. Tim, when you came in here and sat down, you told us you already had a comp for Kyle McCord. So let's start. Before he leaves, let's start talking about we're just kidding. Jack Miller and Kyle McCord are both gonna have I think probably what they'll end up doing is alternating snaps. And I think they'll probably both throw for five thousand yards in the same season. True. So that's where we are with those guys. Ko Heisman, Heisman's Cole for the first time. First
0: ever God it warms my heart. <laughs> just think about it. Go Bucks. Tim, who is this kid? Well, when you look at his profile on 247, the comparison they want to throw out there with him is Matt Stafford. when, he, when you watch the highlight film, you can see it. He's got a good arm, able to make the throws, but seeing a little, some of the stuff he does, he's not, he's not, a, he's not really an athletic quarterback. I think he rushed 38 times or something for like negative 80 yards or whatever. But watching him move around, there's a little tiny bit of Baker Mayfield in the way he's able to run to his left and throw. And Steve's kind of giving me a little smirk. And in a way, what I see out of Kyle McCord, is kind of the mod, what the modern quarterback has to do. I mean, with the exception of Dwayne Haskins, the modern quarterback has to be able to, to throw on the run, especially to his left, which 10 years ago, we almost thought was never possible. But McCord can do that. He can throw on the move. He can throw in the pocket. It's the things that I think Ryan Day is looking for in the quarterbacks. I'm not saying he's Baker Mayfield. He's already 6'3", so he's way too tall to be Baker Mayfield. But you see elements of his game combined with some of Matt Stafford's arm strength. So when
1: we when we think about him again, he's he's from New Jersey. He's the son of a former Rutgers quarterback. He seems like this kind of kid who's sort of been groomed to be uh, a big time quarterback from a very young age. There's a story from NJ.com from the summer of 2017 before he started high school, and in that story, and it's by a guy named Todrick Hunt, who is a really really good recruiting writer for NJ.com, which is one of our sister sites here in the Advance. Network of publications at Cleveland.com. He really knows recruiting in New Jersey. So, like, when he writes something, I believe it. He said Clemson had Kyle McCord as at, like, the top of their 2021 quarterback board, like, when he was in eighth grade. All right? So, like, again, that can sound crazy to you, but this is what teams are doing. You know who else loved Kyle McCord? Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh offered Kyle McCord a year earlier— than Ohio State did, and I just and I and I wrote about this at Cleveland.com. I think it's really interesting, and it's part of the evolution. And you wrote about this a little while ago, Stephen. It's the evolution, and we all see it. But it's the evolution of what Ohio State wants from a quarterback. And when Jim Harbaugh got to Michigan, I thought it was going to be really interesting because, as you anticipated, that Jim Harbaugh and Urban Meyer were going to battle on the recruiting trail. I thought, well, they'll never get a battle for quarterbacks. Pro style guys are going to go see Jim Harbaugh. And dual-threat guys are going to go see Urban Meyer, and we're going to see a battle of different strategies of offense. Whose strategy will win? Well, Urban Meyer's won, and coincidentally or ironically or whatever, Urban Meyer beat Jim Harbaugh in his final game at Ohio State basically with a Jim Harbaugh quarterback while Jim Harbaugh was playing an Urban Meyer quarterback in Shea Patterson. But right now, with what Ryan Day wants, if Jim Harbaugh has always been a guy who wants more of a thrower, right, more of that NFL style of offense, Steven, we see it with Jack Miller, we now see it with Kyle McCord, what does this definitively tell us about Ryan Day and the kind of offense he wants to run, When of all the quarterbacks in all the world, from coast to coast. To coast, because they, and we'll get into this, they are obviously continuing to recruit from coast to coast. Mm -hmm. Ryan Day could have gone after anybody. 2021 is a long way away. He could have gone after anybody. He picked this kid. And the fact that he picked this kid, what does that say about Ohio State's future offense?
2: If you're a quarterback, running is the bonus. It's not the mandate, as it was with Urban Meyer. Which is why back Justin Fields that his legs are a bonus. You have to be able to throw the ball downfield. He does not care necessarily about whether or not you can, you know, run a speed option or a zone read or read option or all that stuff. It's great if you can, but it's not a mandatory thing. Kyle McCord it runs a five oh five forty. Jack Miller runs like a five oh seven forty. Like these guys are not athletes. Playing quarterback. These guys are quarterbacks who want to sit in the pocket like Dwayne Haskins did and make throws. They, if they're going to, if they're going to get out of pressure by getting rid of the ball down the field. While a lot of Ohio State's quarterbacks over the last seven years have been, I'm going to take off and I'm going to get it done with my legs. So you're seeing it with the quarterbacks. You're seeing. Pro-style quarterbacks who are going to get it done with their arm and not their legs. And then now you're, you're going to also see it with the wide receivers as well, as well. You're going to see wide receivers who have to make plays on the ball down the field. It's not just give the, give the speed guys the ball and give them some space and watch them work anymore.
1: I am watching a play right now where Kyle McCord just took a flea flicker and then like turned his back to the field and ran in a circle
0: yep. and threw like a 25 yard dart on the sideline that's, yep. that's where I thought the Baker Mayfield thing comes Baker. in a little crazy like almost not quite crazy person Baker Mayfield type stuff but that's where that kind of comes in. Just enough mobility to make make him be able to throw.
1: But again, to your point Steven and it it, it all comes together. not running. Running to throw, avoiding a a movement to throw. Yeah, just buy some time. Throw, throw. Um, Tim, as just from what you have seen, and again, what you have seen as from McCord, and you had your comparison for him. What's the comparison to Jack Miller? Are they this? Are they similar? Kind of dudes, pretty much.
0: I feel like they're similar. I mean, Miller again is a guy who's coming off a knee injury that kind of took away from his junior season, so we really didn't get to see kind of the full impact. But I think, in a way, I think Miller's got an even stronger arm than McCord. I mean, Miller can let it fly. And I, I do want to preface this by saying Miller plays in Arizona, and I don't, and I've obviously never been there, so I don't know how much better the ball travels down in the Southwest compared to uh, in Philadelphia in that area. So I don't know if that has an impact on it. Muggy, muggy in Philly.
1: That dry desert air. Yeah. yeah Miller yeah. has an edge.
0: Yeah. So I, when I think of Miller, I think he's got a better arm. It, the mobility seems like the same, but pure arm strength. I think Jack has Kyle beat by just a little bit. There's They're definitely, in my mind, pretty similar. So I, I think it's hard um, for some fans
1: to sort of wrap their minds around this stuff. Again, we're talking about Kyle McCord, who is – as we sit here, finishing his sophomore year of high school, um, he was a backup as a freshman, so he's played one year as a starter in high school, and he has verbally committed to Ohio State. And one of the big points I made in what I wrote and everybody realizes this is that they have had trouble holding on to their longtime quarterback commitments. They've had a lot of guys where in recent years where the first guy, the first quarterback commit they get in their class is not the guy they end up with. They did not end up with Tristan Wallace. They wound up with Dwayne Haskins. They did not wind up with Danny Clark. They wound up with Tate Martell. They did not wind up with Emory Jones. They wound up with Matthew Baldwin. They did not wind up with Duan Mathis. They wound up with nobody. They wound up with nobody because Justin Fields was coming. And Duan Mathis said, I'm out of here. And Ohio State said, okay. And Duan Mathis actually went to Georgia. I, that I mean, it's, it's, Obvious, but I feel like when I wrote that, I I wrote that today, I needed to state the obvious. It's like, this is great. This is great. Everyone's excited. Gotta keep him. Like, gotta keep him on the hook now for like, whatever it is, 18 months until he can sign in the early signing period in December of 2020. We know that is the reality. What I think can be hard for fans to wrap their heads around is, why are you taking a commitment from a kid this early? And Urban Meyer often in his tenure, They wanted to get a kid to camp and see him throw in person. Urban Meyer talked a lot over the years about you've got to offer earlier and earlier and earlier. And then I think some of the early offers you wind up with these later decommitments because you offer kids before you totally know them. But you feel like if we don't pull the trigger, someone else is going to pull the trigger. Again, this is a kid. He's on Clemson's radar. Jim Harbaugh offered him a year earlier. Is there any downside to Ohio State? Getting a quarterback commitment this early. This kid is finishing his sophomore year. They've got to keep him on the hook for almost two years. Is there any downside to this or is there only upside
0: to this? Because if you don't jump, somebody else is going to jump. I think the downside is you don't know what the finished product is going to be. I mean, when you look at McCord in his first season of start, I got the numbers, he completed 66.6 percent of his passes for 2,883 yards, 35 touchdowns in 13 games. I'm like, when you look at that, that's tremendous. Now he has to sustain that or even get better for the next two seasons. If he underperforms, and then all of a sudden, he doesn't look quite as good, and then you wonder if you make a mistake. If you made a mistake. In bringing him into early or not. So you almost have to bank on continued development over the course of the next two seasons. No one can predict the future, but it almost in, re- in quarterback recruiting has become a case of you have to predict the future and you have to somehow be able to be spot on.
1: Is this the world, Steven? I mean, are, is there any, when, when this news comes out today, is there any, in your initial reaction to the news, is there any uh oh to it? Or is it all like, okay, here they go?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. It is the uh uh-oh because it's two years and you're talking about teenagers and teenagers can completely change their minds 24 hours after they've made a decision, let alone two years. I think with Ryan Day being this like 2020 and 2021 are his first initial recruiting classes and really 2021 is the first class where there was nobody committed before he took the job already. So he wasn't having to reintroduce himself to people like he did with Paris Campbell and with Joy and so on and so forth. With this one, Jack Sawyer committed afterward. Kyle McCord committed after the fact. So they're 100% here only because of Brian Day. And I think because of that, especially with 2021, I think it's important for him to get these guys as early as possible because they are still learning who he is. But at least at bare minimum, they're agreed to come to your school from a verbal standpoint, even if it is two years before they can actually sign anything.
1: And I think you have to, I mean, like, you have to bet on yourself. Um, as, as a, as a coach, you have to bet on yourself that you have the ability to diagnose early and get the right read, um, on kids. Um, you know, like it's, I, I'm very big on like, well, let's, let's go to this point, and And I want to keep talking about this stuff. There's just so many angles to it, but I, I'm very big on Ohio quarterbacks and having some mix of Ohio kids in here. Um, Gunnar Hoke coming in. From Dublin Coffman, the Kentucky transfer, who is immediately eligible and actually committed since our last podcast. They have, this is they have three quarterbacks in the house since the last Buckeye yeah. talk. So there's a lot to talk about here, um, but that's partly to the point of what like they're in, they were in scramble mode in the quarterback mm-hmm. room because the, the 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 genesis of all the quarterback uncertainty to me is started with the high school recruiting that the kids that you identified and took verbal commitments from were not the kids you wound up with. And then, therefore, the guys you do end up with, you don't know as well. They don't fit your plan as well. And then all of a sudden you're in transfer mania, right? I'm very interested in Ohio guys because I feel like you can get Ohio guys, have a better chance to stick around if they're not the starter. And at some point, you have to have a quarterback on your roster who is willing to stay here even if he's never going to start. I know that's a hard reality to wrap your head around. Compete for the job. Fight your butt off. But I just don't know that you can live in a world where all four scholarship quarterbacks on your roster, the minute they realize, I don't think I'm ever going to start here, they leave. Maybe that's naive with everything we just talked about. I think you've got to have at least one guy in that pipeline who wants to start, competes to start, has the ability to start... But isn't so heck bent on starting. He's out the moment that realization sets in. I think that's better if it's an Ohio kid. Right now, Jack Miller, Arizona, Kyle McCord, Philadelphia, opposite coasts, Gunnar hoax the Ohio kid, kind of the baseline here. It, do you guys agree with this? Like if what should they either A, should they be looking at a second quarterback in either 20 with Miller? Or 21 with McCord, who would be an Ohio kid? Who would be that fit that mold? Or in 2022, should they be after an Ohio kid? If all of a sudden you're stacking Miller, McCord, and now you're going to bring in another top 100 kid to add to that competition. Do you agree with the Ohio idea or do you want the highest ranked quarterback every year that you can get? And if some of them wind up transferring, so be it. You want
0: the best, and you want competition. I do, I do think you want some consist, consistency in that quarterback room. And the, what, the guy you described, he's not an Ohio guy, but I thought the perfect person that you were kind of thinking of, Kenny Guyton. Kenny Guyton yes. was, I mean, he, he only started a couple games. When he started, he played very well. He was probably never going to be the guy, but he stuck around all his entire time in Ohio State, never transferred. So that's almost kind of, I think, the model you want to go for. And I'd almost want to look at 2021 for that. More with than, McCord, yeah, with McCord, because okay. by that time Justin Fields will be gone. You expect Justin Fields will be gone. Jack Miller should be taking over. as probably a, a true sophomore or a redshirt freshman, depending on how much you want to play him. Hoke will be gone. Hoke will be gone. So then you then that could reset the room, and you could have a guy. You could have two new guys coming in. One that you expect will be the starter within two years. Another that will be kind of your backup plan just in case, uh, something happens injury wise. So it's, it's not a bad idea to try and give yourself a fail safe, especially in transfer portal mania 2019.
2: If you're going to do that, then obviously it is what it is right now. You've got two, you know, high caliber guys in 2020 and 2021, but maybe you alternate. Maybe you go try to get the four or five star guy one year and then the next year you go get the, the, Ohio guy, or maybe the three star guy who maybe you just found as a gem who nobody realizes he's better than three stars, but he doesn't really know that yet. But like he's he is the Kenny Guyton where like he gets on the field, he can play like a four or five star, but he's not a four or five star kid. So you kind of interchange it. Right now you can't do that because obviously you've got two guys committed. But maybe you go back and forth because then like Hulk's not gonna be here, so I can't really count him as the Ohio guy because he's here for the Justin Fields you know, era of all this. The next two years. That's his eligibility and that's how long we expect Justin Fields to be here for. After that you gotta go search for another guy. So maybe after whatever happens between Jack Miller and Kyle McCord, whoever wins that battle, from then on out, you do do a you a alternation between let me go get an Ohio guy and then you can like, focus on some other parts of your offense or your defence or whatever and you're recruiting and then the next year let me go get the four or five star guy and then you kinda interchange every couple of years.
1: I think they have to get I think they have to get a second high school quarterback in either 20 or 21. Cause if you think 19, so this so let's talk about the this week of three quarterbacks, which which sounds like a Game of Thrones phrase. Mm-hmm. The week of three quarterbacks. Um like if Ryan Day is like there's like the three-eyed Raven and like Ryan Day is like the, 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 the three-quarterback <laughs> Ryan. Yeah, the throw. Yeah. <laughs> Like they came in, like Matthew Baldwin and Tate Martell and Dwan Mathis, like all went to a wedding, and Justin Fields came in and stabbed them all. Yeah. And now Ryan Day turned into a raven and is like flying around looking, looking for, for quarterbacks. Bats. So, I mean, we could talk about Game of Thrones if we want. So, I so, don't, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I'm just enjoying you guys yeah. laughing. Amazing, stuff. great show. So, so, so 2019. So, okay, let's. So J.P. Andrade was the first quarterback in the week of three quarterbacks. He is a walk-on, preferred walk-on from California. He had an offer from like Fordham. He had, uh, I think, a, a walk-on offer from Florida. He um, came in like five days ago. He, he tweeted it out and like there was like a second of hesitation of like, what is this? The guy? And it was like, no, he's a preferred walk-on. Okay. So he's another arm in the room. So that is great. Um, you already have Danny Vanatsky, who was at the spring game that you saw, who was another arm in the room. Listen, the, I mean, again, uh, people were wound up a couple weeks ago about me being mean to walk-ons. This, we're just being realistic. There is no plan at Ohio State for walk-ons to ever play. That's just not the plan. Craig Feta and Joe Berger became walk-ons who were in scholarships. Kevin Woodkey earned a scholarship for the spring on the offensive line. If you can contribute and get on the two deep and contribute on special teams as a walk on, that is an unbelievable achievement. No one is taking that away from you. It's not the plan. So, like, I don't want to live in a world where, like, we're trying to pretend that, like, walk ons are going to play. So, like, walk on is on the field and something has gone horrible. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> or, or, or it's, or it's the, it's the greatest story in the history of the program, which is great. Yeah. And if you want to throw Hunter Renfro up there, fine. Like, that happens like once every 10 years at one school. That's fine. I get it. Wisconsin, I understand. J.J. Watt was a, you know, was a janitor at Central Michigan and transferred to Wisconsin. I get it. I get it. I get it. Throw all your exceptions in our face. That's not the plan. So, there is not a plan for J.P. Andre to play. He's going to come. All the best of luck to him. He's going to be an arm in the room with Danny Banaski. Guys have to run scout team. So, like, right now... In 2019, your scholarship quarterbacks are Justin Fields, Chris Chuganoff, who's going to be in his second year as a transfer from West Virginia, and Gunnar Hoke, who is the transfer from Kentucky, who has two years of eligibility, and we'll get to him. But JP Andre and Danny Banatsky are also in that mix. That's five arms, three on scholarship. 2020, your scholarship guys are Justin Fields, Gunnar Hoke, because Gunnar Hoke is coming as a grad transfer from Kentucky with two years of eligibility, and Jack Miller. JP Andrade, Danny Vonatsky in that mix is arms three and four. But again, we're talking about a world where, as you guys mentioned, the preference is four scholarship quarterbacks at all time. They have 2019, they now have three. 2020, at the moment, they have three. 2021, we are also in Buckeye talk world are living in the assumption that Justin Fields is gone after two years. If that changes, it changes. But that's the world – because here's – I guarantee you this. That's the world Justin Fields is living in, and that's the world that Ryan Day
2: is living in. Because if it doesn't change, either way, you're still going to have two. So, like, like
1: – <laughs> and, and like, you have to now – and I know they say they were surprised that, like, Dwayne Haskins left and everybody's like, listen, man. <laughs> did you see him? I could have told you at the spring game that he was going to – like, I'm let's not pretend that it's a shock. So let's – let's assume – but Justin Fields is going to be here for two years. In 2021, the way things stand now, you have Jack Miller and you have Kyle McCord. Because Chug is way gone. Hoke is gone because he's got two years. So you need somebody else. So they're either, that's why I'm saying, they're either going to have to add another high school quarterback in 20 or 21, Or they're back in the transfer world where they're going to have to take a transfer in 20, maybe who sits that out a year and is eligible in 21, or bring in a grad transfer. And at some point, if you're Ohio State, you've got to get out of the grad transfer world. Grad transfer world is where like middling teams trying to get over the top live, right? You Ohio State, that is not the world Ohio State wants to live in. That's a desperation world. Justin Fields is great. I get it. Like that, you. if you're planning, it's like, who's your quarterback going to be in two years? It's like, I don't know, somebody who loses the job somewhere else. Like that is not a plan. So what I'm saying is they clearly are going to need another scholarship quarterback in 21. And the only way to get that is another high school kid in 20 or 21 or a grad transfer. I'd rather get a high school kid. I'd rather get an Ohio kid in 20 or 21, maybe in 20. So that he can be here with Miller, and then by the time 21 comes around, Miller and this Ohio Ohio kid are both have a year under their belt, right? Because they'll they'll be here for twenty for the first year. You guys can write this down if you need to as you go. I wrote it down. It's very confusing. There's lots of numbers and years. Count on your fingers if you must. The point is, a and I agreed with what you guys said, Stephen. At the very beginning, you said this McCord commit helps get their quarterback room back on track. And I agree with that. However, it's still not a hundred percent back on track when we're sitting in a world because in 2021, like your 2018 quarterback commitment should be like your starter in 2021. He should be like a fourth year junior, but That's Matthew Baldwin. He's gone. And Gunnar Hoke, who is the Matthew Baldwin replacement, is going to be gone by 2021. Or your 2019 high school commitment is your third-year quarterback. That's Dwan Mathis. He left because of Justin Fields. So if you think of Justin Fields as a Dwan Mathis replacement and Gunnar Hoke as the Matthew Baldwin replacement, right? Both Dwan Mathis and Matthew Baldwin on schedule would have been here in 2021. Neither Gunnar Hoke nor Justin Fields on schedule with what we're assuming will be here in 2021. So the result is you still need to chase a little bit on the back end. They have not taken two quarterbacks in the class in a long time. They had a year, I think they took, like, Torrence Gibson and Joe Burrow the same year. And, like, in the moment, we were like, oh, they're taking two quarterbacks. And it's like, no, they were never taking two quarterbacks because they told Torrence Gibson he was a quarterback. They let him play quarterback for one day. And then they said, you're a receiver. <laughs> and he was like, what? And now he's in Canada. The end. So Joe Burrow was always the guy. But to that idea, what Joe Burrow was... Joe Burrow was actually the best version of this. He was an Ohio kid. He was a three-star kid who, like, was a borderline four-star kid. He was the kind of guy that was like, man, this guy is actually pretty good. He was, like, lighting it up in the state championship game and stuff. But he was an Ohio guy. And I know Joe Burrow transferred, but Joe Burrow transferred when he got, like, to um, the end of the line. And it was like, I've been here. I've done everything right. I stayed. I competed. And I lost to a guy who's going to be a first-round pick. And I'm not going to sit another year because I'm so good I can start for – probably all but 10 teams in the country. And he went and he started at LSU. That is not the the transfer you're worried about. If you're Ohio State and you take an Ohio quarterback and he has Joe Burrow's career, you take it a 1,000 out of a 1,000. Joe Burrow never started a game for Ohio State, but he had the right kind of career for the Buckeyes. And if Dwayne Haskins hadn't existed, they could have won with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow would still be here. Like if Dwayne Haskins never existed, Joe Burrow would be entering his second year as a starter right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, you got Joe Burrow, he was perfect, it just so happened, you recruited an NFL guy over top of him, but he was good enough to play. And if what we're talking about, and I talked about this last week a little bit, the idea of like the alternating between national guy, Ohio guy. If you can live in a world where the Ohio guy is good enough to play, but the national recruit beats him out, and then the Ohio kid leaves, that's like, Perfect. Because if the national kid doesn't beat him out, or something goes wrong with him, or he gets hurt, or something happens off the field, now you have an Ohio kid who is committed to you, full bore, as long as possible, who's ready. So I think Joe Burrow, it's like people would say, well, Joe Burrow transferred. Yeah, but man, he gave you three honest years and a good spring in year four. And so, but they are, I, I think they need... I think they got to get it in 2020. I think in the class of 2020, and I don't know who they are, I think they need Joe Burrow. Unless the plan is every four years to put on a dumpster fire. That, like, go national, go national, go national, go national. Hard or go home. And then if it explodes, we're Ohio State. Yes. It's like, on one hand, you can't count on Justin Fields. But on the other hand, somebody good's always going to want to come here. That is. Okay, so which would you pick? I think
2: from a, from a, like, if I was a coach, the competitor in you is definitely the go hard or go home scenario, especially because you're at Ohio State, where, listen, in the world of the transfer portal, there's always a four or five star guy. And if every four years you need a five, four or five star guy from the transfer portal, So be it. They're not all going to be the hype that Justin Fields has been, but you know, listen, if I can go recruit four or five star guys, if I recruit 10 of them and I land two or three, maybe in every, and they start maybe two or two years and then every so often I got to go get the transfer portal, I could live with that. Now, the smart person in me says, how about you have a little bit more security since you've also said in that same mindset that you want four quarterbacks in your quarterback room at all time, so you take the more conservative approach. You can't have both. You can either go hard or go home, or you can have your four quarterbacks. So which is more important is what it comes down to. Because
1: like four quarterbacks is a great ideal thing, and we just laid out how like they're not close to that. No. For the next couple years, like they're not gonna have but again it's like they're not they're okay now, right? I mean they're okay. They can
2: breathe. Yeah, but
1: they're, they're okay. Understand it's going to come around again
2: in four years. I really
1: liked my idea. I'm very big on the Ohio thing. I like your thing. I'm I not, like, I, I like, I like, cause the idea of like, cause I would say, well, you can't count on Justin Fields, but the idea of like, come on, <laughs> like this is, you're going to get somebody good. Like,
2: yeah, like with all due respect, this isn't like some like lower level big 10 school. This is like one of like the five biggest programs in the country. So like. If you want to put that – if you want to see a spark over – like, if your plug was, like, sparking right now, and you can be like, eh, I'll get to it later. I mean, it's going to, like, be huge in, like, a couple of minutes, but, like, you can – you're a firefighter. You can put it off for a little bit. And, 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 like, if Justin Fields didn't exist this year,
1: then maybe they would have beaten Oklahoma for Jalen Hurts. Or maybe they would – I don't know. There, I mean, there's other guys out there, like, they, you know – Okay, so Tim. So if those are the two, if these are the you're the tiebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> I I had not thought of it the way that Stephen just explained it. I would still go my Ohio way, but I really like the thought process behind Stephen's and I think it is an absolutely valid way to go about it
0: too. Which would you pick? I kind of like I like Doug's Woo! system.
2: Take that, Stephen. Oh, oh you guys. I, it's I so think hard i yeah. to go home. Woo!
0: But I, I think that's only got to be like your every couple years, your every couple year, uh, plan because I think Ryan Day is going to shoot for the big guys. We've seen that already. Jack Miller, Kyle McCord, you know, they were also looking at five star kid JJ McCarthy. There was another guy they were, it was another guy that I think they were interested in. So he's going to shoot for the big guys. And I, I, I think every big, every coach in the country is going to shoot for the big guys, but I think you want to have that security blanket because of just having that Ohio kid, like, like an Ohio version of Kenny Guyton, if you can have that, then I think you're fu- you're just fine. And if things happen, then you can rely on the transfer portal as like your backup backup plan. Because they've already got a couple guys in. I mean, Gunner Hoke comes in f- for depth, probably nothing more than depth. Um, but you have him, so you have security. You're not going to rely on that, but it's nice to know that like if in case something goes wrong, the transfer portal is like plan C. And if the, if the chaos of the Transportals plan C, it's a role I can live in.
1: Let's finish these quarterbacks. Let's finish the week of three quarterbacks and then we'll get into some of this other recruiting stuff that we want to talk about. Um, JP Andre again is a preferred walk on in the room from California. I think we covered him. Let's get into Gunner Hoke a little bit. Uh, this is a guy. He was a four star from Kentucky. I mean, from Dublin who went to Kentucky. Doesn't seem like he really got a sniff. Um, from Ohio State at all as a local four-star guy was Kentucky Cincinnati Mac offers um, coming out of Dublin Kaufman. Um, a, a, a lot of the questions and we'll, we have some of these and we can, we'll get to them later. But a, a lot of people are asking like, well, is he as good as Matthew Baldwin? Cause again, Matthew Baldwin was going to go to Colorado state until Ohio state came in and got him. It's not like Matthew Baldwin was um, a five-star kid out of Texas my interpretation is Gunner Hoke, he redshirted at Kentucky and then his next year as a redshirt freshman, he didn't play at all. But then last year as a redshirt sophomore in year three, he got on the field in a couple games. He's been in college games. Matthew Baldwin has not. Um, it seems to me like if you had to put Gunner Hoke in a game this year, I don't think it would be – I don't know that Ohio State would be afraid of that. Right? That like this kid, he's been around – He understands stuff. He was a decently highly ranked guy. He probably really wants to be here. So I'll give my answer at the end. Tim, if you like, if it, since it did come down to this, who would you rather have, Gunnar Hulk or Matthew Baldwin?
0: Uh, I'd almost rather have Matthew Baldwin just because he's been in the system and, I know in the spring game he wasn't outstanding. He he did some things that, like, you said, okay, maybe there's something there with Matthew Baldwin. But just the familiarity with the offense, the chemistry he has with some of the receivers, you prefer a guy who's around, I think, to be the guy that's kind of your backup plan in case something happens with Justin Fields.
2: I think it's a realistic view, but, Stephen, who would you rather have? I'm going with Gunnar Hogue, and here's why. He's the Ohio guy, and like you just said, there's no, like, clear who's better and if we're going to have the Ohio guy as the backup, even though obviously like Ryan wants this to be on record as like a competition, allegedly, but I'm going to go with the Ohio guy. And here's why. Yes, Matthew Baldwin was in the system last year. No, Matthew Baldwin did not take a snap until this spring, just like Justin Fields. So the only difference is he got to sit in the room and watch them draw some plays up on the board. That's literally the only difference. Him and Justin Fields were literally at the same step. When they got into the spring. So there's no real difference. Justin Fields still has a lot to learn within this system and Gunnar Hoke will as well. And so we'll have Matthew Baldwin because none of those three guys were had any experience. The only guy who would have had any experience running Ohio State system would have been Tate Martell and he transferred back in like January. So when you're in because of the situation that's this unique, I'll take Gunner. I'll take the Ohio guy who's there's a part of him who's just happy to be at Ohio State.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's weird. I, and I, I, I mean, I was part of it too. I wrote some good stuff, uh, about the potential of Matthew Baldwin, but I do feel like I was a little cautious of like, this, I mean, I've said the Colorado State thing a thousand times. Uh, I feel like Matthew Baldwin did get puffed up to some degree in, in the way some people wrote and talked about him. Just because he was like Ryan Day's handpicked guy, after Emory Jones decommitted, it was like Ryan Day went out and found him in Texas, and he went to the same high school as Baker Mayfield and all these college quarterbacks. Um, Garrett
2: Wilson. So, uh, Garrett I think that's Wilson, an overlooked fan I mean, of
1: all this. It, 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 it is a. Uh, I mean, it's a great high school program. It's a great it high school program. Um, but when there's a five star kid there as well. Yeah, Matthew Baldwin probably Garrett Wilson probably made him look kind of good.
2: Yeah, right? I mean Matthew Baldwin but played. I'm once. just saying when you're trying to get like you know the five star wide receiver that you really really like, you know it wouldn't oh, hurt his quarterback. It's gonna it, it doesn't hurt to get the guy who's throwing him the ball. It makes for a good yeah, story. Yeah, I don't
1: I don't know if Matthew Baldwin coming here had much to do with Garrett Wilson picking here, but I mean the, the stories of like we looked at one guy and decided we liked the other guy, like they went. They got Chris Olave because Ryan Day went to look at the quarterback there yeah. and was like, who's that guy? And it was Chris Olave and then they didn't get the quarterback. Um, I think we, I think we like puffed up Matthew Baldwin to more than he was while he wasn't doing anything. And then I think there's a tendency, like now that he's gone to be like, Oh, well, he stunk anyway. And it's like he was the same guy all along. And I'm not disagreeing with what you said. And like, I just, I just think it's, it's just the way it works. Like, you're amazing
2: when you're here. You suck when you're gone. Yeah,
1: and it's like, well, you were probably okay
2: Regardless. the whole yeah. time.
1: And so, I, I think it's fine. I think, I think it's almost. I'm like, I'm not gonna, gonna break the tie if, if Tim, if you say Baldwin and if you say Hoke, Stephen, I'm probably like fifty-fifty, um, because I. I think the way Baldwin at times was talked about was like, man, yeah, I'd rather have that guy. The way he was like, well, if he's competing with Justin Fields, oh my gosh, I'd rather have that guy. And then there's some sort of thing of like, well, maybe he wasn't really going to be that ready anyway now that he's gone. And so I think in the end, and I just – I don't like the transfers. And maybe that's old-fashioned. And Russell Wilson went to Wisconsin and – lit it up in Madison for a year and Wisconsin holds him up as a proud Badger and good for Wisconsin. Yeah, but he wasn't bad at NC State. Like, no, he was thing. good, but, but but it's like, I just I'd rather, as much as I get on fans I get on fans who are like Hey, if you want to transfer, the heck with you I, I just want guys who want to be here without acknowledging, like, you know every quarterback in your room is left somewhere else. That If you're mad at Matthew Baldwin and Tate Martell and it's like, don't let the door hit you on the way out it's like you know, people in Georgia and Kentucky and West Virginia could say the same thing about the guys that now are at your school. So, like, let's not let's let's not be hypocritical about transfers. I would just say, I'm like all in on Gunner Hoke, because to me, when I talk about let's get Ohio quarterbacks, that's exactly who I'm talking about. Like, Gunner Hoke should have been at Ohio State as a high school kid, as the second quarterback in a class. Somewhere along the line as like, he's from Dublin Kaufman. He's decent. He's going to, he wants to be a Buckeye. Why didn't we ever look at him before? So when we're talking, when I'm talking about, let's look at an Ohio kid in 2020 to come in with Jack Miller, I'm looking for the next Gunner Hoke. So like, I'm not, I'm in on Gunnar Hoke. So like, I'm fine with Gunner Hoke instead of Matthew Baldwin. I just like, I'd rather have a guy who you identified in high school and was here the whole time right? So like I'm in with Gunnar Hoke, what he is as an Ohio quarterback and who he actually is as a player, I'm in on. So I'm with you, Steven. In terms of like having a guy who's at least was in practice and on the board and you you picked out of high school and was with you from the beginning and at least got some, he wasn't on the field much as a freshman because even in practice because he was hurt, but he got a couple reps at the end of the year and at least he had a playbook in his hand. I'm with you, Tim. Like I'd rather have that guy. So what i want is gunner hoke who was here from the start so that's who i want now that doesn't exist but what i want in the future is gunner hoke who's here from the start and i and i and i wonder cuz i know ohio state now is saying things about like they're excited about the fact that gunner hoke is from ohio and wants to be a buckeye and is going to compete for their job they say but they don't think he's going to leave if he doesn't beat out Justin Fields, right? They're excited about all those things. So if you're excited about those things about him now, be excited about the next kid that fits that profile in high school. Can you plan for that?
2: Can you plan for? A Gunner hulk situation where there's a guy who's from your state who maybe you didn't recruit. Because like, I guarantee you, Gunnar hulks not the only Ohio kid who's not at Ohio State. Can, yeah. you, can you plan for maybe, if you're going to go the transfer route, can, and you need the, the the Ohio kid. Can you plan for the fact that maybe there's an Ohio kid who's a backup somewhere else who knows he's never going to play there, and you can sell him that, listen, you're probably never going to play here either, but at least you can never play in your family's 15 minutes down the street. So, like, the idea of rather than
1: hoping you get a Justin Fields in the transfer portal, assume you'll get a Gunnar Hoke in the
2: transfer portal. Yeah.
1: But then you don't have to recruit him out of high school. Right? Yeah,
2: and then more importantly, like – like most of the time you're gonna get that kid from like a Kentucky or, you know, a Mac school or something like that. A school where it's like, listen, we're Ohio State. Come on. I mean if he wins the job at Kentucky, he's not gonna yeah, come that's to be different. a backup that's like, different. But if he's a backup, I mean it's what just it's you
1: are much more comfortable living in having any kind of reliance on the transfer portal, which again I think you make a valid point because you have to look at it differently
2: than we've ever looked at transfers before. Especially with a position where there's only one of those guys on the field at all times.
1: And especially at a position where, at that position, there are dudes all over the place transferring like maniacs. So so the idea of, man, if you bring in too many highly rated quarterbacks, you're going to lose some in transfer – accepting that fact because the other thing you're accepting is but we're going to get some as transfers that if you accept both sides of that so i guess it's in the transfer world you can either accept we'll lose some and get some or you can accept the fact we're going to try to never have to deal with the portal Mm -hmm. either way i would rather have zero portal but I think again you make a good point that if you're going to if you're going to lose you're probably going to gain too. So like don't be too freaked out about it mm-hmm. cuz we're saying like oh what would they do? They lo- they've lost two transfer quarterbacks and they've gotten three transfer quarterbacks. True. So they're ahead. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a very interesting strate- strategic thing. I think it would be I bet you if you asked like Ryan Day at a news conference and said this exact scenario in that world would you rather be losing guys and gaining guys from the portal? or not have any, either way, he'd say, I'd rather not have any. We want guys who want to be here. We want to develop relationships and develop quarterbacks. But I wonder what he'd say not at a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> like, because I'm like almost doing coach speak. Like as much as, again, I'm on fans saying like, oh, we want guys who want to be here. I'm saying like, I want to recruit guys that want to be here. Yeah. And you're saying, I want to recruit the best guys and I'll take my shot.
2: Are you, maybe it's more, you know, is there any in the reality that we live in today? Is there any plans to adapt to that new reality? Yeah, right. That that because because
1: you can be forced to adapt to it. Yeah, or you or can you plan um, to adapt to so it. So
2: yeah, I feel like we can even ask that. It's gotta be asked the right way. Yeah, that, that if you can encourage him yeah. to try to somehow yeah. talk about just this. You can't be like, "Hey, would you rather get this? How many girls want to be here? Like, yeah. I don't want to hear that." And you know, that's not what I asked you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a slightly more sophisticated question than. Do you hate transfers yeah. or love transfers? <laughs> Cause like, it's kind of both and kind of either. So, um. I'd rather
2: not deal with it, but since we're here. Yeah.
1: So again, I think, I think in the end, um, JP Andre is a, is like a camp arm. Great. Get him in the building. Um, Gunner Hoke, I think patches a hole, which is great, but, um, it is going to take them to get them. And the funny thing is, if you look and say, and people pointed this out before, it's like, Let's look at, like, the you would have said, what's the ideal quarterback room? In the four scholarship world, what's the ideal quarterback room? And they thought they had it a couple of years ago. JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, Tate Martell. You thought you had an ideal four scholarship quarterback room. Three guys who in, another guy was going to back them up. And the result is the bottom two guys left without ever taking a snap here. So if you're, if you're desperate, if you claim that you want four scholarship quarterbacks, I mean, you had it, what good did it do for you? What good did that room do? Like you, Tate Martell was the best fourth string quarterback in America.
0: What good did it do? Nothing. Yeah, they're all gone. Like they were too good. Yeah, two years later, all four guys are gone. You know, Barrett, I don't know, Barrett's on some practice squads. Wayne Haskins, a first-round pick. Joe Burrow starting for an LSU team that is going to be the only one that is, like, probably going to be the second-best team in the SEC West. And Tate Martell's battling to start Miami. So, you know, you did. You got four
1: good quarterbacks. But what good did it do for Ohio State? God, I was listening, man. I was listening again this weekend like to the ESPN draft coverage, guys with their radio voices, the crazy radio voices. And we'll be back after this for Mel Kuyper's analysis of the second round on ESPN's coverage of the NFL draft. And I'm just like, how do people listen to that anymore? Nope. Does anybody want that? That's why podcasts are where it's at. Nobody wants radio voice. They want three guys sitting in a library conference room. All right. We're going to take like 15 seconds to regroup and move on to the other aspects of recruiting. Uh, Again, this is the All Recruiting Podcast here on Buckeye Talk. We'll be back in 1.3 seconds. Hope you enjoyed that 1.3 second break. We are back on Buckeye Talk. We're going to delve into the top 100 recruits. And where Ohio State stands, it's, we, we know Ohio State class rankings and that kind of stuff and all that's important. This is just another way to look at that kind of stuff. It's, you know, five stars and four stars and that kind of thing can vary from year to year. I think top hundred kids is an easy shorthand on elite guys. Um, cause sometimes there's 12 five stars in a, in a year. Sometimes there's 19 five stars in a year, but a top hundred is a top hundred. So what 20, I think the one thing that we can, Um, disperse with is the 2019 class because 2019 was just kind of like two things happened one is a coaching transition and one is that that was a year where they got crunched on numbers and they were gonna have a smaller class anyway that they had had big class big class big class big class big class big class and regardless of whether a coaching change was coming or not they just weren't going to have quite as many kids so they weren't going to stack up Uh, in terms of class ranking and in terms of just raw numbers in 2019 compared to previous years. So we'll throw that out as a comparison. As we've said a million times, and as you know, the 2017 and 2018 classes were both ranked number two in the country. We're now looking at the 2020 class primarily because, again, we know in 2021 they have two guys. They have Jack Sawyer, the super highly rated defensive end uh, from Central Ohio, and now they have Kyle McCord. But 2020, is where we want to look, Ryan Day's first true class as the head coach, where he's basically starting with an almost open board. In the class of 2018, Ohio State had more top 100 kids than any school in the country that year. They had 13 kids in the top 100. And again, like, that's crazy. 13 of the top 100, Georgia, which actually was the number one overall class that year, had 12 But one of their 12 was Justin Fields, who wound up at Ohio State, just like one of Ohio State's 13 was Brian Sneed, who left. But Ohio State had 13. Georgia had 12. USC and Texas and Clemson had seven. They were next. So Ohio State and Georgia had almost double the number of five-star, excuse me, the number of top 100 recruits of anybody else in the country. So as we talk about, because top 100 is basically a shorthand for national recruiting. Because you can't have a huge Ohio first emphasis. Orion Day clearly is going to have an Ohio emphasis. It's just a matter of how much of an emphasis is there going to be. You can't pull in the national recruiting and go Midwest Ohio and get 13 top 100 kids. You're just not going to be able to do it. So, so far in the class of 2020, among committed kids, Clemson has six LSU, which had like a huge weekend and pulled in some dudes that Ohio State was interested in, has five. And Ohio State has four. Bama has three. Texas A&M, Georgia, Oklahoma, Miami, Florida all have two. But so far, with some of these early guys they've gotten and Paris Johnson at number seven overall all the nation's at the top of that list, Ohio State, for the moment... Jack Miller's on that list, is competing to bring in as many top 100 kids as anybody in the country. We'll delve into that. My broad question, Tim, when you see that in 2018, Ohio State had the most top 100 recruits in the nation, is that a world that Ryan Day will continue to live in as the Ohio State head coach, or do you expect there to be... A drop off in the number of top 100 kids in Ohio State's
0: class every year. If there's going to be a drop off, I think it's going to be this year. And I know we've had a couple people in the in the in the Twitter comments ask about that. And I think the theme of the class for me is offensively, he's going to have no issues. It's clear that the offensive guys are just kind of like flocking to the Ohio State story. I mean, seven of the eight guys in the class are offensive guys. The only one who isn't is Legend Cavazos, who recommitted. I feel like the defensive guys. It's almost a wait and see because Ohio State overhauled the staff and they, like everyone else, wants to see what this defense looks like on the field before they make any decisions. I think that's smart. We know that Larry Johnson um,
1: has been a really good late closer on defensive ends. There have been um, more than a few times where it happened with Tyreek Smith. It happened with Zach Harrison. Those are the two most recent examples, but they're like, they're Ohio kids who are super highly rated, who are dancing with other schools. It felt like for a while that Tyreek Smith was going to Penn State. It felt for a while like Zach Harrison was going to Michigan. And then like the season ends and you have that same kind of stuff. It's like Larry Johnson is showing up at somebody's basketball game in January. And it's like, okay. Larry Johnson is going to work. <laughs> and when you do that, Mario Rivera, bro. Is he bringing a coffee because as they say coffee's for closers? I mean like he's got he's got a whole he's got like a whole pipe and hot McDonald's burning his inner thighs. Um the cigar out. <laughs> he gets out of the car. <laughs> I mean like can't I mean like at once he did like Larry Johnson has kind of leaned into in his late sixties into like the bald head yep. like OG. Mm. He was always kinda like a cuddly grandpa and now he's kinda like a like a badass grandpa, which is kind of <laughs> like an interesting transformation for him, and I apologize for that. But like there's
2: no other way to describe it. But Biggiest like he playing. has leaned into that, right? Biggie is playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> walks up, deep voice. How do you do it, young man? Yeah. You want to go to the NFL? Like, 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 yeah, like he walks into the
1: junior varsity basketball game and like the gym stops. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> Larry Johnson's here. And so I, I think you're right, Tim, that that there is some kind of a wait and see with that. And, you know, again, just like with all this stuff, do, do you want to rely on Larry Johnson locking in a couple top hundred defensive ends late in the process? I mean, he does it every year, but also you don't necessarily want to rely on it. Steven, do you think, is, is your expectation just sort of generally that Ryan Day, when it comes to top 100 guys, and again that means national, will continue to recruit as successfully as Urban Meyer?
2: I don't think it's as unrealistic as we might think it is. Talking defense, Darian Henry just came out with his top six yesterday, and Ohio State's on it. That's a defensive end that I think they're probably going to get. But from what you just said, Tim... There's a lot of offensive guys this year in the top 100 who are seriously considering Ohio State. And a lot of them are wide receivers. And obviously you see the the amount of offensive line and they've already gotten. I think where it's going to come down to is the running back position, I think, is where things might get interesting. But I don't think it's that unrealistic, especially on offense, because these kids just saw what they did last year. Now, every year is not going to be that, but if – that's the moon and you're landing in the stars then I think kids are going to be intrigued by that. Do you think so
1: in terms of cuz a lot of this is resource allocation, right? I mean the, the coaches have only so much time in a year to recruit and every time you're spending time on a plane to fly to see one kid, that's time you're not spending to see another kid and you know, we saw it with FADMOD in basketball recruiting. Sometimes you go so national, you don't protect protect the home turf. Mm-hmm. And then if you miss nationally, now all of a sudden your backyard has been invaded by other people and you wind up with neither. Should, should Ryan Day, as an expectation, with this offense that it seems like he believes and we, you guys believe and a lot of people believe he can go sell – should they be, should they spend a lot of time selling this offense? But also to your point, Tim, this program, should they sell it around the country or should they not batten down the hatches, but, but shrink it at all? If in a world where it, let's say before, cause a lot of times when you're Ohio State, there are local kids you can bank on that you don't have to spend a ton of time on. If you say, do you want to be a Buckeye? And they say, yeah, I want to be a Buckeye. It's like, okay, like we're kind of done. You don't want to take them for granted, but you know, we, we know those type of players and there's a lot of those type of players who every year for the last hundred years have gone to Ohio State. Let's say as a rough estimate, and, and, and this might be totally wrong. And now this is another story makes me want to think about, but in, in the pie of hundred percent, if under Urban Meyer, they spent 70% of their time and energy recruiting nationally and 30% We'll say locally, whatever you however you want to define locally. And again, that doesn't mean that your seventy percent of your players are national, well, but it takes more energy to recruit a five-star kid in Texas or California or Georgia or Florida or Missouri or Alabama than it does to recruit a four-star kid in Ohio. I mean it takes tenfold the amount of energy. So if Urban Meyer was seventy percent energy national, thirty percent energy Ohio, what should Ryan Day's breakdown be? Because he could go eighty. 20, because you know what? I'm not Urban Meyer. I've got to go even harder to sustain the success. He could stay exactly the same or he could back off.
0: What should he do? I think somewhere around like 66, 33, 34. So
1: fairly close. If Urban was 70, 30, fairly close to that.
0: Yeah, because... Ohio, I'm sure you can bank on a few guys, like I'm sure they're probably banking on Darian Henry, they're probably banking on Michael Drennan from Dublin Kaufman, DeMonte monte Trennan from Akron, Archbishop Hoban. Those are probably guys they're banking on, but at the same time, you also don't want to take those guys for granted, so you still have to recruit them a decent amount. Well, at the same time, you have to rely on, you know, knowing that you, that you ha- still have national guys you want to fill, it, fill in the gaps with. Because as we saw from the Jim Trussell era, you can't win a national championship with just Ohio guys. You can get there, but you can't win it with just Ohio guys. So you have to be willing to go outside the state. And I think that's what Urban Meyer did a great job of. But as we saw in like 2019, just the scramble at the end to get offensive linemen where they couldn't even get in state kids to flip to Ohio State, that's where you have to be willing. To say, you know, we got to have backup plans, but we have to be willing to treat those more like plan A's just so we have that insurance, which is what they've done so far in the 2020 classes. We get into it. They they
1: include two lower ranked Ohio kids that, again, they're – and it's no – I mean, if we we could run through the list of three-star linemen who became great players at Ohio State, so you're not – but the idea that they're not slow playing those kids – they're getting in on them early what would your percentage be if urban 7030 what would Ryan Day need to be I was
2: ready to agree with that and then I started thinking about it I think it needs to be 5545 so a little so a little more yeah, on Ohio because you can say it's like urban Meyer well he's not urban Meyer and regardless of it was a com- I think with the urban Meyer situation it was a combination of Ohio State is already this thing. Well, Urban Meyer itself is already this thing. And then you put those two things together, and it's like, oh, my God, I get a chance to play for Urban Meyer. And I get to go to Ohio State. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So the local kids, it was like a combination of two legendary things that you get to do at the same time. And you saw it with a lot of these kids who decommitted when Urban Meyer retired in the Harry Ryan Day. It wasn't I wanted to play for Ohio State. It was I just wanted to play for Urban Meyer. So – Ryan Day's not Urban Meyer. Whether or not he'll ever be that great of a coach, I mean, who knows? Like it's year one of this, so who knows? But because you're not Urban Meyer, you're not. You're just banking on this is Ohio State. Come play at Ohio State. You need to make sure home is good before you go out there with the we're this. So come play here because you can't do that yet. You only have one half of that coin that Urban Meyer was able to pull.
1: Gosh, this is such an interesting conversation because because on one hand, I think I think. Part of it is, so Ryan Day's not Urban Meyer, which is no slam on Ryan Day because Urban Meyer is one of the five best coaches in college football history, and until Ryan Day has a national championship ring on his finger, he's not Urban Meyer.
2: Alabama has the same thing right now. They've got a legend, and they've got a legend, and they get to go pull that And back you bring home. it all together, and that <laughs> was part
1: of it. That Ohio State was a thing unto itself, but Urban Meyer came here fully formed as a thing unto himself. Urban Meyer wasn't that when he got to Florida. No. Nobody, nobody at Florida said, oh. The Utah coach went to Florida. I automatically want to go play for him. But then Urban Meyer went out and recruited his butt off early on and went and got kids all from all over the country. Whatever the year was at Florida, that he had like the best kid from like thirteen different states. Mm-hmm. Number one my kid went to Florida. So, so the two I think the two most interesting parts of that to me are a Ryan Day's not Urban Meyer, but I think to Tim's point. You might have an offense that you can be, that you believe you can sell nationally almost as much as Urban Meyer could sell it. But that's only on half the ball. Right. And the yes. other thing is, how do you know you're not Urban Meyer unless you try to be Urban Meyer? And I do – like it's one of those things like if you – if Ryan Day came in and – so Ohio State has done 70-30 national mm-hmm. local. If Ryan Day came in and said – and just thought to himself, well, we're not going to pull – I'm not going to pull three top 10 kids out of Texas in the same year, like Urban Meyer did with Jeffrey Okuda and Baron Browning and, uh, was there another, well, Chase Young was not a Texas kid, but they got three national yeah. top 10, 10 kids that year. And if Urban, if Ryan Day said, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. We've got to pull back. Like, should you just like give into that or should you take your shot, maybe fail and then pull back?
0: Well, something I thought of, and we'll get to the top 100 kids in a minute because there's a tweet that just dropped a couple minutes ago from one of Ohio State's targets. Okay. Um, I can get to that now or I can get to my go, point. Go to your thought part. first. Uh, my thought first is if you want a comparable, what about Lincoln, Lincoln Riley? I mean, he replaced the coach that won a national championship, granting he hadn't won and won in forever until that point. Then I'm looking at his 2019 class, three of his top four commits – Number one wide receiver. He's got four top um, 100 commits. Number one receiver. Number three receiver. Number 11 receiver. Number one overall quarterback. I went I went around because they set him up in, like, early enrollees, letter of intents. They set him up weird. But Lincoln Riley immediately came in and sold Oklahoma's offense nationally. Yes. And, I mean, they got some defensive guys. There's some defensive guys out here that are, like, primarily rank are ranked really high. They're ranked pretty high, but... His, his, his calling card is 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 Colin offense. I mean, he's got two Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. Ohio State's probably not not going to have that because I can't imagine Justin Fields is going to go back to back Heisman trophies. Hater. <laughs> but I I think the point is if you want a comparable, that's not a bad way to go. I mean, the the one thing is and um
1: I think the the the, the only the the flaw in that comparison is Bob Stoops didn't have as much juice as Urban Meyer at the end of his career. That I think probably Oklahoma got a boost in recruiting because Bob Stoops, I mean, like, they were good. But like you said, he he hadn't won his national title in like a decade and a half before he retired. And like, he just never seemed as cool to me as Urban seemed. That, that you know, Urban was still very much a huge national brand right up until the, his last game. And I think Bob Stoops had fallen off from that. Bob Stoops was not at his peak. I think you could argue that Urban was still at his peak. I mean, Urban, again, Urban's coming off 17 and 18. He's coming off a clock class, two classes that were ranked number two in the country. Um, so I do think, but that would, I mean, that, that would apply to, I mean, everybody, every comparison in the world has been Ryan Day to Lincoln Riley. And that to me is where that, like, I understand the Ryan Day Lincoln Riley comparison. I don't understand the Urban Meyer Bob Stoops comparison, which I, well, that, everybody would agree with. That nobody nobody's going to argue. No, Bob Stoops is just as cool as Urban Meyer. Nobody has ever said that. So, like Bob Stoops is going to go coach in the AAF or whatever in the XFL, right? Like mm-hmm. Rest whatever
2: the piece to the AAF, by the way, Shut up.
1: <laughs> well, like whatever Urban Meyer does, and nobody knows what Urban Meyer is going to do next, he's not going to coach in the XFL. Bob Stoops is the coach and general manager of the Dallas XFL team, right? Can
2: you imagine
1: that? Dude, have some <laughs> self-respect. No offense to I any mean, Stoops family members who are listening uh, to this. But, like, but uh, I mean, I—that's just—that means you're not Urban Meyer,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm not saying Lincoln Riley's not Urban Meyer either. But I mean, I'm looking at—you know—they're both young guys, offensive-minded. So, and Ohio State's class is 87% offensive guys. Yeah, right
1: well, and I do think—I mean, I, I think it's possible. That they will be able to continue to sell this offense. Who's selling the defense? And in a world where, like Larry Johnson, can sell the defensive line, I don't. Someone's got to go out and recruit linebackers and secondary guys. And we've seen this secondary pipeline.
2: Speaking of linebackers,
1: so all right. So past. what is the thing that's popping here on tweets uh, on Twitter? All
0: I do say
2: is Dale Sherman from St. John's H- College High School, five-star um, linebacker from Washington D.C. He has literally just come out and said it's between Georgia. And Ohio State, uh, Larry Johnson, the OG himself, and Al Washington are the main guys in charge of recruiting him. I think that would, if they pull that off, that's huge for Al Washington. That like he's been here for a couple of months and he's got a five-star linebacker coming. That would be
1: big, and that's so he's from where DC. Yeah. yeah. So we know Larry Johnson has owned the the DMV uh, yes. for a long time. Yes. Um, when Zach Smith was here, Zach Smith was also very big in the DMV and. Zach and Larry both recruited there. Um, the one thing that actually I don't know, and I we, I probably should know, is I don't know necessarily the assignments of the, of the new Ryan Day staff, like who's where, um, in terms of recruiting territory. Obviously, if Al Wash Now, Al Washington's involved there as a linebackers yeah, coach.
2: But like, Larry Johnson is involved
1: because he's the OG. And also, again, he has great connections in that area of the country. Um, that would be a big get, because that I do think that is a... And Stephen, you and I wrote about this, I think, during... Spring practice, you could just, sometimes it just seemed like Ryan Day was a little bit more of an offensive coordinator than he was a head coach. And so I think as it relates to leading a full team and recruiting a full team, what you've pointed out, Tim, is, is again, a lot of this stuff, it's like we can see stuff or you can think stuff, but then, you know, there's proof in the results. Mm -hmm. And when seven of your eight guys that you have in a class so far on the offensive side of the ball. When all the big name guys, all the big highly ranked guys are on the offensive side of the ball, there's some they just got, you know, they they got to get some defensive guys in here. And why would they have so many offensive guys and not as many defensive guys? Probably just because there's more uncertainty nationally about Ohio State on the defensive side of the
0: ball than there is on the offensive side of the ball. And I do think, you know, as Sherman seems like a guy who's going to decide late. It seems like Georgia's in the lead. So if you're Larry Johnson out Washington, you're like, we got we got seven months to like seven to nine months to turn this around. But we but maybe they feel like maybe they feel like they can do their best work in the season if the defense looks really good, especially like you know first month of the season. Like say they go to Nebraska and hold them under twenty points.
2: But if you got a kid. On the last day of April already saying that it's between you and one other school, I think you're in a good place. Yeah, I'm, if you have seven, I'm not
0: saying they're not in a bad place. I'm no. saying right now maybe they're probably in second.
2: No, but it's just I think he. You, when you're a new coach at a place, you're spending the first couple of months really that kid is just getting to know you. If that kid's comfortable enough to go, it's between two schools, not a top five or top six, which is a weird number, but okay, or a top 12. It's between you and another school who's pretty much got is, you know, validated in what they're doing. And you've got six to seven months to, you know, really hard sell this kid. I agree with you. Now it's like see, he's probably waiting to see some results, which is probably where his hesitation is.
1: And I think again, that makes me want to ask Ryan Day that question. Ryan, do you feel like you have to put some things on the field defensively to to let some of these defensive recruits know what you guys are mm-hmm. about when you've turned over four fifths of the defensive staff? I'm, I'm sure his answer to that would be yes, because they just, they don't know what, what necessarily what scheme Ohio State's playing, how these kids fit in their personnel wise. And then if, if Jeff Hathley or Al Washington or Matt Barnes or Greg Madison is going out and pitching something right now, they don't have any proof. Greg Madison, you can't, like, no one's going to come play for Greg Madison because he was the Baltimore Ravens defensive coordinator 15 years ago or because he was Michigan's defensive... Well, so these you, kids
2: were toddlers
1: you've got to sell Ohio State, and those guys don't have anything personally at Ohio State to sell. And, like, for right now, if you want to try to go out and ser- and sell Ohio State's cornerback pipeline to the NFL, can Jeff Halfley sell that? I mean, Jeff Halfley can try to sell, hey, Richard Sherman thinks I'm cool, I've worked in the NFL... But if I was a kid and they're trying to say, hey, look, Kendall Sheffield just got drafted. You know the history of Garyon Conley, Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, Eli Apple, and Bradley Roby. And I would say, yeah, what's that have to do with you? Mm -hmm. I don't even know if you're playing press man. Half those guys – most of those guys got to the league because they were playing NFL press man and putting stuff on film every game. I'm not even sure what scheme you're going to play.
2: Y'all just came up with a new position. I have no
1: idea what that is. So, like, I I do think – that would make sense to me that it's gonna take a little bit more time to sell the defensive recruits. And so that maybe if we're sitting here and seven out of eight in late April, our offense, okay, that makes sense. But at some point, they're gonna to need to start making some bones in the fall with with getting
0: some of these guys. Right. And we'll move off from Sherman, but I think to to Stephen's point that you got Larry Johnson out, Washington. I don't know if I'm sure Ohio State fans should. I think they OSU fans should feel comfortable that like you got two of your best guys on him, and if you don't get it, so don't get him. So be it. You you swung your shot, and I mean you uh, took your shot, and sometimes you just miss. And, and again, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know much about Al Washington as a recruiter,
1: but Zach Harrison sure liked him, and Zach Harrison sure liked Greg Madison. And if he if Larry Johnson was not at Ohio State. Zach Harrison would be at Michigan if Larry Johnson had retired. Which should be very unfortunate because then – I mean, it, it's one of those things. and it, I mean, it's the way it works, but it's like Larry Johnson, I think, saves them on a lot of stuff. The thing we just talked about. Like it's – you know, no offense to anybody else, but – They can't all
2: pull that card.
1: Yeah. I mean, he – so they've – I don't know how much longer he's going to be around. And again, th- this stuff came out um, with some testimony in the NCAA basketball corruption trial – That a uh, dude who's getting pinched for like a 60-year prison sentence is starting to throw out names and claimed that Larry Johnson facilitated a payment at Penn State a decade ago from this financial planner to the father of a Penn State player who was thinking about going to the NFL draft. The financial planner, who again is getting pinched by the feds, um, did not name any names but the way he described the situation, it is absolutely clear that the only what people who could be talking about is Larry Johnson as a coach and Aaron Mabin as the Penn State player. The allegation is that the financial planner paid $10,000 to Aaron Mabin's family, basically to get Mabin to stay at Penn State, like, hey, we'll give you some money. If you're looking for money, you don't have to leave. And he left anyway, and then apparently paid the money back to the financial planner. Um, Larry Johnson has a 1,000% denied that allegation. And so... Like, what's the outcome of this? Nothing. The NCAA has so many fish to fry. They have so many things they aren't enforcing right now. The uh, the allegation from a criminal um, about something that happened at a school ten years ago—it's um, not going to have any ramifications for Ohio State or Larry Johnson. And Larry Johnson again has absolutely a thousand percent denied that allegation. But my point is, I don't. If you've heard about that, and I'm sure you have, like, I don't. I don't think any of this is like leading to Larry Johnson toward retirement or anything. He's just in his late 60s, and he's not going to coach forever. And so, like, Ohio State, it's it's one of those things. Whoever you hire next after Larry Johnson, they lost Mike Vrabel, who, like, five years later became an NFL head coach, had a meteoric rise, and they replaced him with Larry Johnson, and that was like a miracle. It's going to be really hard to get somebody as good as Larry Johnson when he's gone. And so if your defensive recruiting is – Larry will get him like that's not a great strategy if I'm not Washington
2: I am like learning everything Larry Johnson has to say because like if I if his goal should be I'm going to be the Larry Johnson of the linebackers here yeah
1: I mean absolutely and so Greg Madison is not going to be a long-termer here either Matt Barnes is I don't know but he's like the assistant secondary coach I just don't think Matt Barnes is going to like blaze a trail on the recruiting path so you need Jeff Halfley and Al Washington to sit in a room with Larry Johnson. And Jeff Halfley's been around the NFL, but he's been in the NFL for several years. He was in college previously at Pitt and smaller schools. So I think they can coach, right? But you want Jeff Halfley and Al Washington to go to Larry Johnson recruiting school because there's going to come a time when Larry Johnson is not going to be here to say everybody's bacon on the defensive side of the ball, and they're going to have to have some coaches in that room who can recruit.
0: Yep.
1: Let's do this. Top 100 guys. So, again, let's run through real quickly the four guys that they have in the top 100 right now. Tim, do you have the top 100 up? Yes, I do. Who are the four Ohio State commits, verbal commitments at the moment? In the top 100 in the class of 2020.
0: You got Paris Johnson Jr., the five star offensive lineman, number seven overall. Luke Whippler, four star lineman, 52nd overall. Jack Miller, the quarterback we talked about at the beginning, 59th overall. And then G Scott, the receiver from Washington, 74th. All right. So again, Clemson has six, LSU has five,
1: Ohio State has four. At the moment, they are third in the nation in most top 100 recruits in 2020. They're in on some dudes though, aren't they? Like when you look, when you run through this list of other top hundred guys, um, and we can just make it this and that, let's, let's make it these national guys because then we can maybe get into a couple of Ohio guys they really need to be after. Who are the, who are the top hundred guys that you would say Ohio State really would have at the top of the list of guys who have interest, who are guys that
2: they really could use in this class in 2020? Go on. I'll go Darian Henry, number 56, uh, was the defensive end from Cincinnati. Uh, Mikael Sherman, who we just talked about, eleventh nationally from D.C. Julian Fleming, who's number six in the country. He's the number one wide receiver in the country, and he's pretty much between Penn State, Clemson, Ohio State. I think he shoots to the top of the list for them as far as guys who they can get because he's an offensive guy. So I'd put him at the top of the top of the list. And
1: isn't Fle- Fleming's one of these guys that like Ohio State recruits are interacting with, and guys yeah, are like, yeah. "We need you, man." Him, right. him and
2: Legend Cavazos are tight.
0: Like when Cavazos came down in the spring, he's like, "I'm bringing Julian Fleming down yeah. with me." Like, and there's apparently apparently seems like there's a great relationship between Julian Fleming and Brian Hortline. Really. From- so.
1: I know, I know people had asked, and again, we'll get to questions in a little bit. The Raheem Jarrett is a guy that they had been in on as a receiver who committed to LSU over the weekend, and people were saying, how big of a deal is it that they didn't get Raheem Jarrett when they were in on him? They have these two other receivers. Do they have two or three receivers in the, in the 2020s? They well, got two. They have two. They have two so far. But, but how big of a deal, just in the context of other receivers that are out there, how, how would you describe
0: how important Fleming is? It's massive. I mean, you know, you watch the film, and he just looks like he's playing at a different speed than the guys he's playing against. Granted, his competition is not the most elite. I think he's like a he's like in a mid level school in Pennsylvania. I think Central Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't know where Catawissa is. Okay, I should know that. I don't know where it is either. Yeah, I was I was going to say you're a Pennsylvania guy. I would think yeah. you would at least have uh you know some. But do they have good pizza in Catawissa? No, I don't know.
1: <laughs> Cataw- I'm gonna look it up now.
0: Yeah, but, but like watching this film, he's got tremendous speed. I mean, you wonder the comp the, the competitions level like got to be a wonder when the kid's playing at a smaller school. But you can see just the athletic gifts he has out there. And if you can get the number one receiver combined with what they already have in G Scott, who seems like He's been impressing people, like in camps and whatever. Keeps like has been showing off on in workout videos on YouTube. And Jackson Smith and Jigbo, who's been who rose up the rankings in the off season.
2: That's the that's a pretty darn group good group of receivers. And also Marcus rose me in there as well. He's the number thirty six nationally, the sixth best wide receiver. He's another guy who's been crystal ball to Ohio State for a while.
1: So if you're wondering, a kind of basically kind of between Ely'sburg and Bloomsburg. So now know you know where it is. is. Right between, you get to Elysburg on uh, 487
2: and you make a left. So, where would you say, like, if you went out to California and somebody asked you what city you are from, what city would they say? What, what that, like, where you, where it, is Like, from? you know how, like, when people are from, like, Gehanna and you yeah. go to, like, Texas and you'll just be like, I'm uh, from Columbus? Maybe, uh, Scranton. Scranton, maybe he would say. People would only know
1: that because of the be office. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> da, 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 da. So, Here's, here's where I, 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 I think, so they have two receivers in yes. already. Um, they have Garrett Wilson as a freshman. They, do. they have Chris Olave as a sophomore. They do. I am super interested in them getting like an absolute stud running back to potentially give the ball to as a true freshman. And I am very interested in Kendall Milton.
0: Yes, that's the name that's a name that seems like yeah. it's come up with Ohio State, even though the crystal ball is heavily in Oklahoma's favor. Whispers out there that you know Ohio State is pretty high in the mix for this kid. again, all the way off from California, and that's another trend we could talk about at some point is how they're they're really recruiting the West Coast like I don't think they've ever done the way they've recruited out west. He's a guy to watch, Bijan Robinson, the five-star from Tucson, Arizona, nearby. I I'm trying to remember. I don't know my Arizona geography. so I'm not sure how close. Tim, it's it.
1: like you know nothing about Pennsylvania and Arizona
0: geography. You well, I I mean, I I rarely go Pennsylvania. I rarely go an hour further than an hour east on I-80 and I've never been to Arizona, so I don't know, but Yeah. Milton and Robinson seem like the two most likely of the run, of the five star running backs that Ohio State would be in on. So a
1: a lot of this, I feel like, and we, and we had this, um, discussion on this podcast recently, just the idea of, you know, there's, uh, you're a passing offense now, but you're still going to run it sometimes. I feel like there is an opening, no offense to Master Teague or Marcus Crowley or Steel Chambers, right? But – and, and I, we won't go into this now. I mean, it's, it's so far off. But I, I, I sometimes have a hard time early on in draft stuff getting a read of, like, how good is this guy NFL-wise? I know that draft people, when they were talking immediately after this draft ended, they were saying, like, the running back group in 2020 for the NFL is really good. And J.K. Dobbins is near the top of all those lists. So while Mike Weber went in the seventh round and Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins shared this load the last two years, um, I think J.K. Dobbins is is much higher ranked in NFL minds. And so, again, if we're wrong, we're wrong. But I am going into this season assuming it is J.K. Dobbins' final season at Ohio State because I think he might be a first-round pick next year. And he's going to get every opportunity to be a lead back and get 25 carries a game and show what he's really all about. Now, it's one of those things, again, if he's not that good, if he plays like he played as a sophomore, he's not going to be a first-round pick next year. And then maybe he'll stay. If he flashes like he flashed as a freshman, then he probably will have a really high draft grade and he'll leave. So you can root for J.K. Dobbins to stay. It means he probably wasn't as good this year. But I, if I'm recruiting, if I'm Ohio State right now, and I'm telling guys, listen, man, J.K.'s probably leaving, there is an opening for you a 100%. And I know people love Master T. recruiting 300s. They don't have a five-star running back on this roster behind J.K. Dobbins. They don't have a top 100 running back. They have top 100 guys all over the place. Brian Snead was a top 100 guy. He's gone. I really... Think they have a pitch to make. And again, they are very clearly going national at this, in this running back recruiting. They had Darvon Hubbard as a, as a commit originally from Arizona with Jack Miller. He is now decommitted, but he was in the 300s, right? I think maybe they cooled on him a little bit, which maybe led to his decommitment. Maybe they thought that like, I think they need to get a five star running back. If they don't get Julian Fleming, I think they'll survive because Garrett Wilson's going to be here for three years. If they don't get Julian, if they don't get Kendall Milton or an equivalent running back, I'm not a, I'm not sure what their running game is gonna look like
2: in 2020. If they don't get Kendall Milton, we'll probably see what we saw in 2018 where you're you know series by series, which I don't obviously none of us think that's like the greatest thing in the world to be doing, but none of those guys I think are good enough as of right now to be like, the lead back after J.K. Dobbins.
1: So, but, and again, it's just recruiting rankings. Yeah. And everybody likes to downplay them, except guess what? They actually do matter. And I know Marcus Crowley was like the parade all of, number
2: one player in Florida and that kind of thing. And he, you know. And that, but that's based on what you but, do, like in your high school season. And, that's not based on what you do when you get around all these yeah. guys and get to compete. And they, and I know they like Marcus Crowley this spring, right? Is that a national championship backfield?
1: For for the year that you think Justin Fields is going to pop, then if you have a realistic expectation of Justin Fields, which includes maybe some bumps in 2019, but 2020 ready to roll, you better have a running back to run with him. And if you're telling me right now as things stand that you're saying, we got Justin Fields, we got Chris Olave, we got Jeremy Ruckert, we got Garrett Wilson, and we're handing the ball to Master Teague and Marcus Crowley. I'm saying one of these things doesn't look like the other. And I'm also telling that to Kendall Milton. Am I – I mean, I'm just – It's. It, and I think it's no offense. And I know everyone's going to say Master Teagues look great. I'm just telling you, man. Like, I think Dobbins is really good and it's going to show something this year. But you need somebody – are they game breakers? Do they have a game breaker behind Dobbins? I want a true freshman running back game breaker, which is why I put Kendall Milton at the top of this list. And, again, I, to your point, Tim, I find it really interesting that a lot of – they're going – G, G. Scott is from, is it G or G? I, I'm going nice to guess G. I think it's probably G. G. Scott. Oh, we'll, we'll, dis- go we'll delete this part. Uh, <laughs> he's from Washington. The other receiver's from Texas. Yep. Um, Fleming is from, again, as we said, you get to Elysburg, you make a left, head towards Bloomsburg. It's, it's right that. there. Catawissa, come on. Um, these running backs are going after West Coast guys, again, to the point of are they going at they're going nationals for skill, guys. I'll tell you that they're going all over the place for these skill guys. Um, is there anybody else you guys we, we threw some names out there we talked about Fleming a lot we talked about Milton a lot. we talked about the linebacker from Washington. Is there anybody else that we need to mention as real national targets before we move on here?
0: I would look at you know in the low 80s Henry Gray out of Miami a corner position need we talked about we talked about how Ohio State needs help on that defense they have one guy committed on that side of the football. Great right now. The crystal ball is heavily in Ohio State's favor. He plays in Miami Central and Ohio State's had no problem getting kids out of South Florida in the past. So he seems like a guy that I would keep an eye on as like a guy, as another guy that you can, you can build, start to build the secondary class with him and Cabazos. Okay.
1: Generally speaking, I made a list of questions. When we think about the fact that Ohio State was number two in the country in 17 and 18, when we think about the fact that in the Urban Meyer era, Ohio State was not competing with Big Ten teams, they were assumed to beat Big Ten teams both on the field and in recruiting, and they were competing on a national level, yes or no, Ohio State will continue to recruit with
0: Clemson and Alabama and at that kind of level under Ryan Day. Yes or no? Offensively, yes. Defensively, not this year. Long term? Long-term, I, I think so. It's just going to be a little dip. And when I look at Clemson's class, it could be like Georgia 2018 historic. Like, they had the makings of an insane class. I mean, they just got a commit from Brian Bressy, the number two player in the country, who for a while, before Urban Meyer retired, seemed like he would be a guy that was going to Ohio State. And then Urban leaves, and then Bressy trends towards Clemson, and he eventually commits to the Tigers.
2: Offense, yes, 100%. Defense, yes, with an if. And the if is based on what we talked about with Al Washington and Jeff Halfley. Their ability to recruit to – obviously, Larry Johnson is Larry Johnson, but their ability to at least be in the ballpark of what he does on a consistent basis. If that happens, yes. If not, then things are going to look ugly on the defensive side for a little bit.
1: Because I will say, beyond Larry Johnson, I think Luke Fickle and Kerry Combs were both dynamic recruiters on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. I thought. In addition to an on-field coaching drop-off, I think there was a recruiting drop-off from Fickle and Combs to Bill Davis and Tabor Johnson. Uh, and now we're asking Al Washington and Jeff Halfley to get that recruiting on the defensive side of the yep. ball back up to the Luke Fickle, Kerry Combs level of things. And they were both difference-makers – Um, and that's, that's just, I mean, I think it's, I think it's about, you know, sometimes you have great X and O coaches, right? Sometimes you have great dynamic recruiters. Every now and then you have guys who are both, um, who can coach it up and develop guys and also can really recruit guys. But I think every staff, when you have 10 guys, you end up with a staff where you want to balance. Like you would, you admit the fact, Hey, this guy's maybe not going to recruit as well, but when that, once they get here, he's going to be awesome. And this guy, Maybe he's not the world's greatest coach, but he can bring in talent. you got to have a balance. Um, we're looking for who is that, who are the next dynamic mm-hmm. recruiters. Um, Larry Johnson clearly is that. I think Brian Hartline very quickly has shown himself to be that. Um, I think Tony Alford, when it comes to running backs, has done a good job um, in securing guys um you know zach zach smith had done a good job but again heartline jumped right in with that um i'm not sure where kevin wilson is i'm not sure where Greg to draw is as dynamic recruiters your has to show it because i think ryan day was a dynamic recruiter but part of this is is that when you're ryan day and you're a dynamic recruiter on the staff when you're a head coach you can't be out beating the bushes for guys as much right you're the head coach you got to close. which was and i and i know it's it's no big deal and Like when they got desperate late in the process for offensive line before the second signing day in February and somebody had to go to Hawaii to lock that down, Ryan Day went. And I think in the same situation a year earlier, that would not have been Urban Meyer going to do that. It would have been Ryan Day or the most dynamic recruiter on the staff going to lock down – a late top 150 national recruit from Hawaii where you fly across an ocean, stay for lunch, and fly home. He did not sleep in Hawaii. He flew to Hawaii, got off the plane, locked the kid down, and flew home as the head coach. I
2: hope that is not normally what a head coach is supposed to do. No, it's not. But that goes back to he's not Urban Meyer yet, and they're still trying to get to know a lot of his coaching staff. And also... I kind of feel bad for Ryan Day in that instance. I know it's your job. You get paid a lot of money. But imagine doing all that and the kid still goes, nah, I'd be a little hurt. Well, but
1: they got him. They did. But yeah. like
2: in a world where it's like, his, there's definitely a part on that point right back where he's like, if, God, I hope this kid comes here, cause if not, this was, this was just, this was awful. Yeah. Like, no, well the thing <laughs> is, you can probably, you can watch like three movies each way. You can, but
1: like, yeah. it's still
2: like a plane ride. Like, well, plane yeah. rides are not like well, the most fun, even if it is a private jet, it's like, I didn't I want to get on. You know a- what,
1: I bet you, now that makes me wonder, did he fly his jet to Hawaii or, he must have flown commercial.
0: Well, if he I don't think I would, I would hope he at least got first class. So it, yeah, it's one yeah. of those that has like a full down bed. So at least he has a chance like to get Like imagine being sleep. on yeah, Southwest
2: yeah. and you get stuck with the middle. <laughs> seat for like yeah, a nine yeah, yeah, hour yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, like what are you doing? I'm the head coach of Ohio. <laughs> and you're just like, imagine, y'all flown before. Imagine like a person gets cramped up between two people and you're going to Hawaii from Ohio.
1: But the Indian owner flies on Southwest. Um, so. What? Okay. So, so let's move to the next thing. So we kind of, we kind of hit on this, but if this wrap this up again, as we look at 2020, we talk about players. What are the positions? I talked a lot about running back, but, but as we talk about, if, if we're just looking at the roster, if we're looking at guys are going to lose, because again, I did a rough draft of this and I sent it out to my text group. If you guys want to get on the text plane, um, I'm going to give you a hint. We haven't officially announced it, but i You'll either It will be either officially announced or about to be officially announced when you listen to this. We are opening up Project Text for a free trial. Woo. So all my people out there who have subscribed, and am I going to sit here and say that I have the most subscribers of anybody at Cleveland.com of the 10 or 11 people who have Project Text? Do I know that for a fact? I don't. Do I know some numbers and assume that fact to be true, that (laughs) Ohio State and my loyal Buckeye Talk squad is number one? Yes, I do assume that to be true. I think it is true, and I am grateful to you guys for that. I hope you guys have been enjoying the service. I've gotten good feedback about it. We're going to have a lot of interesting stuff coming up. But for the month of May, we are going to do a free trial. So if you have not tried it and you don't know what the deal is, you can get a taste. And here's the thing. Once you get a taste, baby, you're going to be addicted. Now, that's not a joke. I shouldn't joke about drugs because they're very serious and that kind of thing. But I'm going to deal you some Project Text, and you're going to keep coming back. So try the free trial. Go to Cleveland.com. Give it a shot. It's not going to cost you any money. If you don't like it, you can text me and say, Doug, I hate your texts, and I hate everything about your existence. And I'll say, thanks for trying. If you like it and you can pay me $4 a month. None of that goes into my pocket, by the way. But it might prevent the company from folding. Um, So,
2: No pressure. (laughs) No pressure.
1: It's on you. ESPN the Magazine is folding. You know why? Because they didn't have a text group. So try it. Get ready. Cleveland.com. Go there. There will be like a thousand house ads directing you how to get project text. We have the Indians, the Browns, the Cavs. We have entertainment people. We have political people. All kinds of different things you can try. So please, if you've been wondering about this text thing that I keep talking about, this is your opportunity to try it. Guys, the thing I said that I sent a text was I, I guessed how many guys would be drafted next year. And I put the over-under at 9.5 based on guys that could come out early, um, seniors, guys who could pop. I'm not going to run through the list right here. You, I mean, there's some obvious ones. KJ Hill is going to be drafted next year. Um, you assume Dobbins and Okuda and Chase Young are all going to come early and they're going to be drafted next year. Malik Harrison's going to be drafted next year. You can guess that like, you know, um, maybe Thayer Munford comes out early. Um, who else? Like there's some um, defensive linemen like, will will Robert Landers get drafted? A lot of people think he's a draftable guy. Jordan Fuller's definitely going to get drafted. I think Damon Arnett's almost certainly probably going to get drafted in the later rounds, uh, so I put the over-under at 9.5. Um, but the point is, you know, replenish. Got to
0: replenish. So as we think about positions for 2020, what are their main focuses? I think offensive line is number one, and they've done a they've done a good job of that so far. They got the four. We talked about the top two guys. Doug, you said before about the value of having guys like Jacob James and Trey Leroux committed, how important those guys are, even though those aren't highly ranked. So they're off to a good start with that. Receivers is my, my other one, and... As people know, I'm big on skill positions. I'm a skill, a skill position kind of sore, as they like to say. Um, and, and I love
1: punters. I love punters. Okay.
0: You, you and like, the, you and all of Twitter. Yeah. Were you excited to took, someone took a punter in the fourth round of the draft? I and, saw that, and the, and the Browns took, took a, a kicker. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a kicker we've we've seen in person, Austin Herbert. Yeah. So offensive line, receiver. I would look running back. Also, like you said, to get a top flight guy, defensive tackle. I kind of I think it'd be good for them, especially losing three guys. Although, you know, Lander, Robert Landers, Davon Hamilton, Jasha Cornell. They're good, but they're not like star like star like type guys. But you still want to have more depth back there. So I would I would think they'd want to target that and try and at least get one or two more guys on the interior defensive line.
1: Yeah, I mean, they had a good, I I like their young, the, I like the 18 class of defensive linemen. Tron Vincent, Tommy Togiai, Tyler Friday. They have some really good guys in the pipeline, but, but they're losing a big group, and they've got to supplement that for sure, especially on the interior. Anybody else, uh, position wise, Steven, is popping for you?
2: Defensive back. We just named three guys who probably won't be here this time next year. And I think they need to replenish that a little bit. Obviously, LeJoin helps that a little bit, but I do think they need to add more there as well. When you're losing three guys in the NFL, two graduation, another guy is just probably going to leave early. Um, let's think Big Ten
1: a little bit. And, and the one thing, I mean, again, obviously, this is obvious stuff. I don't know if we're going to get to your questions. If we don't, we'll get to them next week. Um, context always matters. So in a world where like, oh, is Ryan Day going to be as good as Urban Meyer? Well, you know, there's – are you going to lose out on battles with Clemson and Alabama and Georgia – For national kids. But is there anybody, we talked about, you know, the idea of maybe you go national. If you whiff nationally and you don't protect the home base, is somebody going to come in and invade your home base? Is there anybody in the Big Ten that Ohio State should be worried about? If Ohio State, for some reason, would not be the number one recruiting team in the Big Ten, can anybody else take that crown? I mean, I would think the only real contenders are Michigan and Penn State.
2: And I can read you. Penn State has six four-star guys right now for 2020,
0: and they're they're ahead of, of Ohio State, but only because they have two more commits right now. Yeah.
1: So, but but listen. To, so these are the these are the Penn State national rankings of their 10 commitments for 2020. Ready? Yep. 97, 143, 147, 228, 293, 335, 445, 486, 489, 834. So that's one top 100 kid, and he's 97th. It's three kids in the top 150. And Ohio State has four players better than that. So, like, they have a lot of guys, but, like, I don't think Ohio State would even take commitments from, like, seven of the ten kids in their class. Was Ohio
2: State – is some of that Ohio State was just that far ahead the last decade, that, like, even with, like, what's all happened, they're still at least a lap ahead. So they'd have to slow down immensely. Uh, well, so I – there was a time
1: a couple years ago, I remember talking about it on this podcast, of, like, Penn State's coming for them. Because Penn State was roping in some dudes, and you know one of the dudes they got that I was like, oh man, look out, here comes Penn State. Justin Fields, who was originally committed to Penn State before he decommitted and went to Georgia. And I was like, holy moly, James Franklin is getting serious because they had been in early on some kids. They got a running back. I can't remember his name that Ohio State I think was interested in, and Penn State got him. They were getting some top 100 kids. but So this knowing... As you know, nothing, knowing nothing about Penn State recruiting and pulling up that list and seeing that, hey, they are ranked ahead of Ohio State numbers wise right now. And you pull up that list and they have 10 kids this early in the cycle and only seven of them are and, and seven of the 10 are out of the top 150 and a whole bunch of them are in the 400s. That surprised me.
0: You know how early we are in the recruiting cycle as far as rankings. The number 10 team recruiting wise in the country is Georgia Tech. And they have a new coach. Well, but they're, I think they're actually getting guys at Georgia Tech because the new coach is not going to run the triple option and everybody yeah. in Georgia is like, we don't
1: have to block Finally. all the time. Finally. <laughs> all your skill position guys, Tim, are like, we get Fuck to actually catch the ball. We well, as football. someone
0: who loves a triple option, oh, it, it breaks my heart that, that Paul Johnson retired. Because it, I love watching that in like the Power Five. You love watching the triple
2: option when it when it's run perfectly. It's no. a thing of beauty. Nothing n- nothing is more of an eyesore in football than the triple option. My high school ran the triple option, and like it made high school football Friday nights the most boring thing to watch because everybody knows <laughs> who's getting the ball. It doesn't matter if they're going to put all eleven guys in the box; they're going to still do the same thing.
1: Yeah. You know who doesn't like it? It's like, yeah, receivers in the state of Georgia. (laughs) Um, Let's run through this real quick, and then we're going to move. We will get to questions real quick. Here are the six Michigan recruits in the class of 2020. National rankings. 250, 265, 326, 421, 487, 662. So Michigan has six guys. And the best-ranked kid is number 250. So that's early. I get it. But, like, you know, and, and I'm, I'm I'm the leader of the pack in this thing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, I don't know if Ryan Day can be as good as Urban Meyer. What are they going to do? Oh, my, and it's like, oh. he might not have to be. Michigan's getting guys ranked 600. (laughs) Penn State's getting guys. It's like, well, we got the number 482 guy in the country at tight end. We're good to go. It's like, okay, good luck. And I get it. I get it that Saquon Barkley was a three star and recruiting rankings aren't everything, but they are a lot. And at the moment, with Ryan Day instead of Urban Meyer, Ohio State's still the best recruiting team in the Big Ten. And at the moment, I don't think it's close.
2: Urban Meyer was putting up 50 point outings. Ryan Day might be able to put up like 30, and like they'll still win by 20.
1: Yeah. All right, another half second break at Buckeye Talk. We'll be back in a second. Okay, we're gonna get to some of your questions here on Buckeye Talk. Man, Ian Farler is coming in hot, <laughs> hot with the uh, with the worries. Hypothetical: Justin Fields is out for the year by the start of Big Ten play. How many conference wins does this team get behind Gunner Hoke? So I think, or and then he said breaking. Maybe just talk about McCord. So. <laughs> so good guy. Um, I, I, and, and so I don't want to make this about like critiquing Gunner Hoke, who we know nothing about. But let's make Gunner Hoke the stand-in for an average quarterback, which I think is a fair thing for Gunner Hope, right? You just transferred from Kentucky where you didn't win the job. We're not going to assume you're the best quarterback in the Big Ten. We're not going to assume you're the worst quarterback in the Big Ten. We're going to assume you're like the seventh or eighth or ninth best quarterback in the Big Ten. In a nine-game Big Ten schedule, how many games would Ohio State win with an average
0: quarterback? Let's say six or seven. I think maybe
1: five. Like, I think, because here's the thing Michigan's going to be good. Penn State's Penn State. Michigan State's Michigan State. Nebraska, Northwestern, Wisconsin, as your crossover games. If Maryland has a quarterback, I think Mike Loxley, after a bunch of crap at Maryland that those players held no fault for, and I think Mike Loxley is a guy who can motivate players and is finally getting a shot as a head coach, and Maryland almost beat him last year. Like, if your, if your quarterback is average, we saw how Dwayne saved this team. And we have seen, we saw JT save this team. We've seen Braxton Miller save this team. We When we talk about, and there's going to be a future podcast about all the close games they played in the Urban Meyer era, a defining characteristic of those close wins in the Urban Meyer era was the quarterback saving them which is a defining characteristic of every team that wins close games. So if you have an average quarterback that can't save you, I don't know that this team, I don't know that J.K. Dobbins can save you. I don't know that Chase Young can save you. I don't know that you're going to say we're going to throw a shutout. We're going to beat Michigan 13-3. I don't know that you're going to say J.K. Dobbins is going to run for 350 yards against Penn State behind this offensive line if our quarterback is average. And I don't think Justin Fields is going to be great every week. But I think with the way this team is built, there's enough questions on the defensive side. You don't know that it's gonna be a dominating defense. You don't know that it's gonna be a dominating offensive line and running game. If your quarterback is average, I think you could go five and four in the Big Ten. Just because the Big Ten's better. The Big Ten's better. Yeah. You sounded crazy until you explained it. Scott Frost is good, Paul Christ is good, Pat Fitzgerald is yeah. good. They're waiting. You tell them, you tell Scott Frost and Pat Fitzgerald and Paul Christ and James Franklin and Jim Harbaugh and Mark D'Antonio and Mike Loxley, hey, by the way, when you play Ohio State this year, average quarterback. They'd be like, this is what we've been waiting for. Because <laughs> Ohio State never has an average quarterback. Yeah. They have a game-changing, opponent-breaking, fourth-quarter saving. And as much as sometimes we end up talking about JT Barrett and a kind of negative way on this podcast sometimes and it's easy to go back him. and say all the things that he did wrong. Did you see him in the fourth quarter against Penn State that day? If you have an average quarterback, you lose that game by three touchdowns. So that is nothing against Gunnar Hoke. That is a reality of an Ohio State team where if their quarterback is average, because the one thing is Justin Fields won't be as average. He won't be average. He might be inconsistent.
2: But he's going to have this moments of looking like Oh, my God. He's amazing. For sure.
1: For. For sure. Sure. Nobody doubts
2: that. 100% sure. Nobody
1: doubts that. That guy does things that normal people can't do. So I just think that's a reality. And I don't think – and all that does, honestly, all that does is make Ohio State like almost every team in the country. Almost. Cause maybe Alabama's won national championships with borderline average quarterback. But everything right? else has been so spectacular that it didn't matter. Right. Yet. But it, so, so is that what Ohio, do you think Ohio State 2019 at the other 21 positions besides quarterback no. is Alabama talent? I don't, no. not right now. I don't think that. I think they've got a lot of potential in a lot of different places. And you, if you get upside of Wilson and Olave and upside of Toronto Mitchell, and Jeffrey Okuda and Chase Young and Josh Proctor and Tyreek Smith and Teron Vincent and Malik Harrison and Baron Browning and you get full upside on all those guys. Okay, I can't bank on that on May first. NW Drone Four One Zero, our guy, cynical Negro. Dumb question, but a question nonetheless. How do these early offers work when the kids can't sign till halfway through their senior year? What exactly constitutes an official scholarship offer? We're not going to go deep into this, but basically, there's a whole thing, and everybody, people have written about this at various times. There's There's offers and then there's committable offers. And when teams offer 500 kids and you can go through an offer list and see how many schools, how many offers schools put out, not every offer they put out. If the kid, if you say to a kid, you're offered and he says, I'll take it. Sometimes they say, no, you won't. (laughs) It's when they go, you have the green light to commit. So there are very few. I mean, if you're a five star kid, every offer you gets committable. But you want to be in the mix. You want to play the game. You want your name out there. Even Ohio State wants their name out there. And you also want to be in with kids early so you never lose a kid because a kid says, well, this school showed me love when this other school was ignoring me. And it's like, we're showing love to everybody. Mm-hmm. So you ask out everybody. You ask everybody to prom. But if everybody says yes, you can't take everybody to prom. This is not the Brady Bunch episode or whatever. Two prom dates, right? You've got to... In the end, just because you offer doesn't mean that you're ready to take it. And so it is a confusing world. I'm not ready. I'm not sophisticated enough to explain it beyond that. But I know we did a a story a couple years ago and other people have done stories. There's a difference between an offer and a committable offer, which is silly. Because then it's not really an offer if you can't take it. But then you get to put on your list. I have 25 scholarship offers. You can tweet out. And I'll say there was a world, and I remember it very, very, very clearly, except I can't remember it. That's what happens when you're old. I have a very specific memory that's very hazy. But one year on National Signing Day, Jim Tressel said something like, I'm very proud of the fact that we made 29 offers and we got 24 commitments. And it was like, you made 20? Wait, what? Mark Pantone makes 29 offers in half an hour. Like that was a different world. I was 15 years. That's 14 or 12. That was a different world where Ohio State under Jim Trussell. there was a time when if you got an offer from Ohio State, they didn't offer you unless they were saying, we want you. And so he took that as a point of pride that we identified the guys we want and almost every guy that we wanted, we
2: got. Eh. But, I don't agree with that. Uh, I think, well, it's strategy. I, I don't know if it's strategy, but it's also the benefit of the fact that you didn't have the internet like what you have today where two seconds after you do, where kids are literally like making this, you know, a reality TV show, which is fine. You can do it however you want to do it. But when you live in that world where two seconds after you send your offer, the kid's tweeting about just got offered offer from this school, even though it means absolutely nothing in the moment, I think it's easier to get away with doing some stuff like that. So it's applaudable, but like, I don't know if he'd get away with that today. No, but that's part of it too. I mean that's a point
1: both about Tressel and how he thought about things and how he operated. But it's also a point about how much the world yeah, has changed. Like
2: he wouldn't be able to do that today where you only – because people would know that right now eight months before signing then and go, is anybody working over there? Why are yeah. there only
1: 29 offers out there? And you want your team – I mean they want, they want it out there. They want their program talked about. Yeah. So the idea of like, well, we're going to be so selective that we want a big conversion rate. That's just not a real – I agree. Yeah. It's not a realistic approach anymore. Right. Um, Ross gets to a question that we've kind of discussed, but Tim, I'll let you take this. Why has defensive recruiting fallen off so much? I thought Al Washington was supposed to be the best young recruiter. seems like we are more focused on offense. Just to sort of recap what you've said.
0: Yeah, it, it's just the fact that we don't know what this defense is going to look like. That recruits are the same way as, you know, everybody that covers a team. We don't know what this offense is going to look like. We can guess. But until you see it out there for a few games, you're not going to have a clue. So I would I would not worry about defensive recruiting until early November if I want to pencil in like a target time to start worrying about defensive recruiting. Pick early November. Um, I'll let you guys take this first, and then I'll chime in at the end. Ross at Rossatron six.
1: No, that's, he just asked that <laughs> one. Sorry. G Nilly, what's up, G Nilly? Did any Buckeyes who left early for the NFL draft make the wrong decision based on where they were drafted? So, um I was like early <laughs> So like Paris Campbell. Um so who was okay, so who's so Nick Bosa left early, went in the first round. Good decision. Dwayne Haskins left early. I mean, is this worth debating? He went fifteenth.
2: I mean, In yeah. what
1: people viewed as a weak quarterback class. Would anybody make the case that Dwayne Haskins should have stayed? No. no, Because I do I, – our friend Rich Exner at Cleveland.com, and I will look this up, um, and uh, wrote a story that the headline was how much money the New York Giants passing on Dwayne Haskins cost the Ohio State quarterback. And his – this first sentence may shock you. The New York Giants' decision to pass on Dwayne Haskins will cost the former Ohio State quarterback close to blank a million, close to blank million dollars on his first contract. So a first-round NFL contract is four rounds with a fifth-year option. In that time period, the fact that instead of going sixth to the Giants, he went 15th to the Redskins, how much would you guess that cost him? You can think in your car. Think right now. Think on the treadmill. Then Tim and Steven will think, and they'll guess. Okay, Steven, what's your guess?
2: i go ten. I'd say about 12.
1: Boy, you guys are good. It's 11.
2: Wow. So,
1: so okay. So going six to 15th cost him $11 million over four years, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think he could have made himself in a world where Tua and Justin Herbert and I'm trying to think. More money coming Jake, back. Jake Fromm, other guys are going to be out there next year. Everybody, I think, agrees the quarterback class next year is viewed as better than this class. Dwayne was the third pick in, a, in what is viewed as a kind of iffy quarterback class. No doubt he made the right decision to go? No doubt, yeah. 100%. I think there are some people out there who would try to make a case that he should have stayed based on like development and the stuff that people say about one-year starter in college, but I'm 100% with you guys.
2: You got to go, you got to go.
1: Most surprising, Buckeye to go undrafted from WDK1921. So again, the undrafted Buckeyes are Johnny Dixon, Malcolm Pridgen, Demetrius Knox, Dante Booker are the the – guys who just left school and signed as undrafted free agents they had 10 combine invites 9 of the 10 combine invites were drafted the only one who wasn't was Johnny Dixon so who who would you as is, is it Johnny yeah. it's Johnny easily so if
0: it is obviously Johnny were you surprised that Johnny wasn't drafted I, I wasn't just because of the injury history he's had. I mean, he put two decent years of production out mm-hmm. there, but I'm sure NFL teams, like, through their thorough medical history, they were doing a lot of that, you know, digging into the knees, um, not actually digging, but, like, metaphorically doing the digging. But I think, like, I'm sure, like, all the teams, obviously, they didn't see enough in the production and the medical history to say, like, okay,
2: we're going to bust a draft pick, but we'll we'll bring him into camp. I think the three wide receivers, McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, and Paris Campbell, were really good at the combine to the fact that it, it helped all of their draft stock. It's why Paris was drafted where he was drafted. It's why Terry was drafted where he's drafted. And I think for a while, Johnny Dixon was going to get drafted. And then they started looking into his medical history, and I think that's what pushed him out. When I did my uh,
1: prognostications on where Ohio State guys would be drafted – I predicted that neither Johnny nor Isaiah Prince would be drafted. Mm -hmm. So that Isaiah Prince went in the sixth round, I thought was a good thing for him. I mean, he's like a, he has an NFL body for a tackle, but I think has inconsistent production. And did I pick Paris Campbell to go 50 nights of the Colts? I did, but I was not surprised because I, I I mean, it's just, and and this is the thing. I also was not surprised. Were you surprised by, so I think the answer about, Guys, The original question was anybody who left early mm-hmm. um, that made a mistake. I, I think that the the one that would leap to mind is Mike Weber. Yeah. Because Mike Weber did have a year of eligibility, although Mike Weber almost went the year before. So he almost went as a redshirt sophomore. He did go as a redshirt junior. He goes in the seventh round. I picked him to go late in the sixth. I was nine picks off on where he went. I was not at all surprised, although you can find mock drafts out there that had him as high as third, fourth, fifth yeah. round. Steven, were you surprised that he went in the
2: seventh round? Yeah.
1: I, 21st, running back taken.
2: Which is, a, yeah, I'm, I was fourth or fifth. Like, seventh is, he might not have a job. Yep. So, I, yeah, a little surprised by that. Tim, were you surprised? Um, not, Maybe a little bit. I
0: thought he would have been hot. Definitely gone earlier, but I don't think he made the wrong decision in leaving early because what was he going to gain from coming back, splitting carries with J.K. Dobbins for the third year in a row? He had to go, and I mean, it just was a case of, you know, his draft stock's not too high and he's just going to have to outperform in the NFL. I think he is what he is. I don't know that he could have done, I don't know that he could have improved
1: as
2: a player or put any more on film. He ran he ran very well at the Combine. Which is interesting, though, if like he's like, because we said that before even the draft, like the draft started when he originally declared like this. I mean, there's not more he can show if he there's not more he can show. And he's still a guy who's going to be a maybe you have a job, maybe you don't. then like, I mean, that's where it's like, wow, really, like you really didn't have any room to wiggle. It's it's tough world, man. And the thing I say on skill guys, and I think
1: it applies probably to the running backs the most, is like there are so many good running backs out there from schools that we never even heard of. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what? I know everybody thinks their own running back is great because they watch him and at a place like Ohio State, it's like I did think Mike Weber was a big hole guy. And sometimes people will get really excited about like a long Mike Weber run, and then you'd watch it on film and it was like he, no offense, but no, no. he didn't have to do anything. Yeah. And I don't know that he's a great, like, I don't know that his vision is great. I think JK's vision is better. I think JK's a little more of a, of a slide through a small hole and make something out of nothing guy. Um, I think Weber's fine, but I think it's tough to be a running back who's fine. And he's not a huge thumper. He's not. I mean, he did run a very good time, but he's just not an absolute blazer. I think sometimes when you get in the middle rounds as a running back, you're better off being like a, a guy who has like one great skill. And I think he's just like kind of good across the board. And I think when you're kind of good, you get thrown in the mix with a million other people and it's hard to stand out. And I think that's what happened to him. We are technically over our designated allotment here at the Westerville Public Library where we do have the room reserved from one until 315. It's on the board. There's a board outside. I might even tweet a picture of it, but we're going to go a little bit longer. Um, Go until they kick you out. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll go to – I think there's nobody coming in. There's like a softball group or something coming in at 5 o'clock. So we have like another hour and a half we can go. Um, E. Bronstein, we acknowledge your question about backup QBs, and like we've already talked about it, about trying to get a backup QB and keep him here for two or three years, just like Joe Burrow. We covered that. Eddie Vulich at Zadea will, will he, will Ryan Day take a page from Chris Holtman and try to get some guys, um, get some transfers, get some Ohio, like we covered it, we get it. Um, Pete Capo is asking, um, sort of strategy-wise about geography, and we'll, we'll hit on this really quickly, and there's a lot of stuff that we can dig into more in stories that are hard to address in a podcast, is the new recruiting back map going to be more Trestles recruiting base, mostly Ohio and some nationals, um, the Oregon model, which is focusing on Texas and California skill guys, or some mix of Texas and Ohio, Pennsylvania, and letting position needs dictate. So... Bottom line is, like, I think what they're saying, like, what Chip Kelly did at Oregon a lot is get some undersized guys. Go get some fast guys from Texas and California who maybe weren't going to USC because they were a little short. Um, I don't think – the one thing is I don't think Ohio State – to me, if you're Ohio – I'm trying to think. Like, Ohio State did get – like, under Trestle, they would go to Florida and get kids. Like, Santonio San Holmes was a three-star. And Brian Roll was a three-star. And they would go get some Florida guys – but who weren't top tier Florida guys? It's kind of the way that, like, you'll see Minnesota and Wisconsin go get Florida guys now, and everybody in the Midwest has to go get some Florida guys. But there's so many good players in Florida that you can get a three star Florida guy who's an excellent player. But it's the, you know Florida and Florida State and Miami and Georgia and Alabama they took the five star Florida guys. So I I don't know. I like I, as much as I think. Okay, well you wanna you wanna. Do make sure maybe you peel back and go Ohio a little bit. I also don't, necess- I don't want Ohio State to settle and go for three-star Florida guys and undersize like, oh, well, we're not going to, if we're going to recruit nationally, we got to take everybody who's two inches too short because we're not going to be able to compete nationally. I think I-, I would just rather maybe take a couple more Midwest guys, but when you go national, you still got to go for five stars, right? I mean, like there's, I don't want to settle. I don't want Ohio State to settle for national guys. If if your profile to me is you you as much don't have years where you have 18 national guys and 7 Ohio guys, maybe you have 12 Ohio guys and 13 national guys, or some years 15 Ohio guys and 10 national guys, those 10 national guys, I don't want them to be three stars. I don't want to spend more time on national three stars. I want to spend more time on Ohio four stars... But when you go to Texas and Florida and Georgia and California and Louisiana, you still better be going after the best of the best. Right? Yeah. yeah. Like I don't so, – so I would disagree. I don't no, – the Oregon model I think is not right. I think it's, if it's national guys, it's still the best of the very best. Are there any Ohio kids we need to talk about? This is Mark Roberts. Mark 44 Roberts. Are there any highly rated kids in Ohio who are huge Buckeye fans and are pretty much automatic commits as soon as they get an offer because they've always loved Ohio State – does that even happen anymore? Do kids go where they can play and get to the NFL? I mean, uh, so maybe we can talk about a couple kids who might fit that model here. I'm telling you Pat Alfline was like that. I'm telling you Josh Perry was like that. I'm telling you Tyvis Powell was like that. I'm telling you Darren Lee was like that. There are guys in Ohio that are insta-commits who can become great players. So, And the one thing I wanted to bring up when we were talking about the, a point about quarterbacks. A final point about Ohio quarterbacks. You know who was an Ohio quarterback who would have done anything for an Ohio State offer, and wound up at Ohio State. Jones. Right, so that worked out pretty well. Like I'm he.
2: Good. Prep school. That
1: he did. Good. He begged yeah. for an Ohio State offer. So again, the idea of like, hey, what can if you get an Ohio kid, what can happen? I can turn into Cardell Jones. Who are, are who are kids? Tim, are there anyone that leaps to mind of like? This Ohio guy that maybe is a is a is a three and a half star kid that it looks like a guy that would be an instant commit to Ohio State, and maybe we don't have them off the top of our heads, but I will tell you there's been a long debate. Luke Fickle always seemed like a guy who could get those guys in recruiting. I think Malik Harrison on the current roster fits that build, and we've had a lot of discussions over the year. I'm always very interested in having a spot or two at the end of a class for a late developing Ohio kid who maybe is a three-star, but would cut off a finger to play for Ohio State. And often it's not that you're throwing that kid a bone. It's that those kids help you win. And if you don't save spots for those kids, it's not about – it's not about – like you're not doing it for the sake of the kid. You're doing it for the sake of your program, that those 24th and 25th recruits in the class and famously – you know, Troy Smith is like the last recruit in a class as an Ohio kid who who was maybe a borderline
0: offer. Look what he turned into. I think you need to save room for those Ohio kids who would be on that list. There's a couple guys I'm looking at. One is Ricky Hyatt from Westerville Central. He does have an Ohio State offer, although he's numbered 635 in the country. So I will say very, very briefly,
1: my daughter goes to Westerville Central. And <laughs> you gotta go recruit for Ryan Day now. Well, it's just funny <laughs> to me. I mean, I'm and I'm entering this world now. Where my sister, my sister, my daughter, she doesn't know Ricky, but it's like Ricky is Ricky. So, like, my daughter was like, Ricky got an Ohio State offer because we've been tracking like Ricky had a Michigan State offer. Mm-hmm. I think Ricky got a Penn State offer. I've watched that kid play. Uh, he is a dynamic guy in the field. You know who's like a really good guy at Westerville Central who, like, didn't sniff an Ohio State offer?
2: Nick. Benny really?
1: Snell. Oh, wow. Benny Snell, who like went to Kentucky and led the SEC in rushing, just got picked in the fourth uh, yeah. round of the draft. Yeah. I watched him because, again, it's the, I, it's the high school down the street for me. Um, Benny Snell was like a little bowling ball to me that I thought was going to be a Mac kid. I was like, that kid's good. I think he's a Mac kid. And I'm not saying Ohio State should have offered him. That kid's a monster. That kid's unbelievable. So, like, I'm in on Ricky. Anyway, that's a good – but that's a good – so he's he's in the 600s. I just made – I didn't make fun of I just happen to point out that Penn State and Michigan have a bunch of guys in the 600s right now. My point about that is not that Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State should have no kids in the 600s. It's that I don't think you should build your class on guys in the 600s. But maybe an Ohio kid like that in the 600s is exactly what they need. Ohio State also kind
2: of – I think they agree with that because Jacob James and Trey Luriex are two guys like, – that's 950 and 700. Yep. And those are two Ohio guys. Yep. So I think – He's doing it where I'm also going to fill a need real quick. Yep. Let me get these small Ohio guys, but then let me also add some offensive linemen at the same yeah. time. And
0: I I do think there's the idea of you know the lower ranked kid who's in an Ohio and who grew up support loving Ohio State comes in. They're probably a little more motivated, you know, to say like you know these recruiting guys got it wrong. I am legit. I'm going to show you why. And the Malik Harrison example is the most recent, and it's it's borne out that now all of a sudden he's a guy who could be a first-round pick next year. And if it doesn't work, that's the thing, too. Like, on the upside, you're 100% right, and we have a zillion
1: examples to point to. And on the downside, the downside is he busts his butt on scout team and on special teams and doesn't leave and loves Ohio State. And someone's got to be the 85th guy on the roster. Mm -hmm. And so at the worst, that's the best kid that could be the 85th scholarship guy on your roster. That's the worst case scenario. And the best case scenario
0: is he's the next Malik Harrison or Pat Alflein or Josh Perry. And if you miss, so like he's the 700th kid in the country, so what? I mean, it's, it's low risk, high reward, and those are foundational guys. Yep. Alright, so we're in on Ricky. Let's, is there anybody else, or should we end with Ricky? Um I'd say Luke Lachey from Grandview Heights. He does not have an offer. I just had him up a second. Is he a Lachey? Um I'm not sure 100%. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, but I don't know for a thousand percent. So I would not quote me on it. Um, We know what we're
1: talking about at the Buckeye Podcast. It is the son of the former Ohio State? So that is Jim Lachey's son, the Ohio State legend, and... Ohio State broadcaster.
0: Yeah, and he does not have an offer yet from Ohio State. I'm just looking at his offer list right now. Cincinnati, Iowa State, uh, Michigan State, Kentucky, West Virginia. I believe I saw Wisconsin in there. So he's got some decent offers. It wouldn't surprise me if he's like a guy that shines in Ohio State camp, Ohio State offers, and he's just like, I'm in. And this happened a couple years ago.
1: Not a couple years ago. Again, when you get old, you say things like a couple years ago when you mean 10 years ago. Ohio State, very super late in recruiting, in a recruiting cycle one time, had a, had a scholarship left. And they offered a kid who I think was in the thousands. And it was Adam Griffin. And it was Archie Griffin's kid. I remember kid. that. Yep. <laughs> oh and God. at the moment, it's one of those like, man, Tress, but you know what? Like, that's okay. Because sometimes the last scholarship to an Ohio kid is Troy Smith, and he wins the Heisman Trophy. And sometimes it's okay to have an offer to a kid who's got buckeyes in his blood. And so I think I think Luke Lachey is probably a better player than Adam Griffin. Adam Griffin was really off the radar. But you know what? Like Brian Sneed was the number eighty player in the country. He was here for a month, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you miss on guys all the time. And somebody's got to play special teams. So, you know, like, I get it. I get it. And I'm not asking Ohio State to, like, not go get national players. But you know what? I'm like, It's a great way to play. I, I, I mean, for real.
2: Somebody's got to play special teams.
1: Someone's got to. And you know what? The best mix of special teams to me is always you don't want. You do not want 10 five-star freshmen covering a kickoff. No. Because, like, seven of them are going to run in the wrong lane. You want, like, four five-star freshmen, three, like, good solid players, and, like, three... Old guys who don't get to ever play on offense or defense. Heart and grit. Who the thing they care about most in life is covering that stinking kickoff. And if that kid happened to grow up rooting for Ohio State and happened to grow up hating Michigan, and you happen to give him a scholarship late in the cycle, and then you tell him, run down, (laughs) like the fate of this football program depends on you covering this kick. He will do it. That is not a bad way to go. That's that's softy old Doug, um, coming around on uh, just you know having a 25-man recruiting class ranked in the 900s. What are you gonna do? Makes you feel good. All right, guys, thank you for this great recruiting talk. Um, we've been promising to you you guys for a while, so we hope you enjoyed it. Um, again, the project text. Free trial is starting on May 1st. It will be for the entire month of May. So go to cleveland.com to find out more information about that. You can also go to project text. Nope, that's wrong. You can go to cleveland.com slash project text. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-T-E-X-T. Cleveland.com slash project text. Or just go to cleveland.com and figure it out. So if we didn't get to your questions, we're sorry. We'll try to get to them next week. Um... We'll have a bunch of stuff coming. Like, there's always something to talk about with Ohio State. So I don't know what the podcast in the coming weeks will be about. Um, but they will be about something related to the football team that you love. So for Stephen Means and Tim Bielek, thanks to the Westerville Public Library for this lovely conference room. I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buck on Talk.